Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. A puck comes loose in front. Cap shoot it on. Big save by Grisey. Dump it over to the far side. Hathaway's there. Loose in front. Left pad save. Tonight, Botus. Some big saves in this period from Grice. Snaps it to the blue line. Jensen into traffic. Sliding save by Grice. It hit his left pad as he went across the mouth of the goal. Two on one. Caps work it in. Near side. Robbed by Grice. Carlson. Shoots it to the goal, and Thomas Grice took it away with a white glove on the left hand. Sherry, a left-handed shooter, picks it up on the blue dotted center. Brings it in from the right side. Waits, shoots, save Grice! Bring out the Zamboni! The Blues battle back in the shootout. They steal the win right back from the Caps. They've won five in a row. How about that? The Blues have themselves a backup goalie alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. We are broadcasting live at the EB Granite Studios out at the Centene Community Ice Center. Alex, I told you all offseason do not count out the Grice. Don't count him out. I know last year was a bad year for Thomas Grice. No, I'm stopping you right there. We will not go any further. If you sit here and put your blasphemy over these airwaves for our listeners that are dedicated. I actually was high on the Thomas Grice I don't think you were. Check the tape, kind sir. Uh, You and Tanner sat there and said, Thomas Grice? Really? No. Tanner didn't like Ville Husso leaving. I said... (laughs) I actually think if you look at Thomas Grice's history, other than last year, member he's of the been Ferrari a totally five. good player, like a, a perfectly reasonable goalie. And last night we saw why. Last night he won you that game. Afterwards, Ruby said that was a goalie win. Like you, it would be totally fair to characterize it as that. Grice saved 12 of the 13 high danger chances that he saw. Not in the game. No, Alex, that was just at five on five. In the game, the Capitals finished with a total of 51 shot attempts. It's not what you want. But Thomas Grice stood on his head, gave the Blues an opportunity to win, and in the end, it was enough for them. So shout out to Thomas Grice. 47 saves on 51 shot attempts. That is what you want to see out of your backup goalie. I was thinking last night, man, it it sucks to be a backup goaltender for the Blues because, like, you just you get a different style in front of them, and you get the you get the, the crappy games. I, I mean, like that game, you just could tell the Blues were tired. You could just tell, and like they have not gotten very beneficial back to back games. It's one thing to do back to back 
when you're on the road for both of them. But to do a back-to-back where you're on the road and then you come home or you're at home and you go on the road, man, that's tough because it's a lot of travel. And then on top of it, you're getting all of the minutes that you played in the prior game. And for Thomas Grice, look at the back-to-backs he's played this season. He got the the game against the Nashville Predators where, I mean, they just got shellacked. And they played well in the first two periods, and then it just kind of all fell apart on them. Then he gets the Philadelphia Flyers game where, again, you play well in the first period, second period you get exhausted, and then boom, done, and then you get this one. But he gets the win. Like, you felt like at some point Thomas Grice was going to break through, and up until that third period where a lot of those goals just started getting just wacky bounces in, Thomas Grice was unbelievable. I mean, he was flashing his glove. He had a couple of breakaway saves that he needed to come up with. He was doing the sprawling saves that he needed to. You just you need a confidence booster for Grice. And Buchnevich was on with Joey and Curbs postgame last night, and the last thing he said was, we're happy we got Greiser a win because we love him. And apparently, they love him in the locker room. So to get him the victory, that was impactful. Yeah, it, it was a big one. And they have now won, what is it, five straight coming out of the eight-game losing streak. Don't worry about that audio, Alex. I'll bring our off-air conversation on air. It's fine. We don't need it. Um... The Blues have won five straight games, and you look at the schedule that lies ahead, you've now got two coming up, Saturday and Monday, both at home against Anaheim. It's not a back-to-back, kind of a weird, fluky scheduling quirk where they play the same team in St. Louis really two straight weird. games. And then it gets tough again. But, man, this this schedule really could, or this team, could go on quite a run here. And you look at the way that the Central Division has opened up, they're right back into the thick of things. They're right back into the middle of the NL Central standings. I was looking earlier today because I was curious where they would land on ESPN's latest power rankings. Uh, Who who did the power rankings? I I don't know who did them, but somebody at ESPN, they were right in the middle. They were like at 15 in, in the NHL, which feels about right given how they've played so far this season. It basically depends. Do you believe that they were the team that they were in the first three games and in the last five games, or do you believe that they were the team for every other game there in between? It's been a very strange season, but if I told you at the beginning of the year, Alex, that through the first 16 games, the Blues would have to work some stuff out because Ryan O'Reilly's looking for his new partner in crime. You'd need to figure out kind of what the new defensive system looks like. Your goalies would take a little bit of time to get acclimated to everything, and your five-on-five offense would struggle at times, and the power play would be still sorting through some things. If I told you afterwards, hey, they're 8-8 eight and eight through the first 16 games, how you feeling? Say, ah. Not over the moon by any stretch of the imagination. I think they'll be all right. I think there's enough time still left in the season for them to get back on track. That's how I feel. I'd say it was underperforming if you told me that because I I think they're better than a 500 team. Uh, And their goal differential, you'd look at it and you'd say that's got to be better. A minus 12 is just not where it's supposed to be. But you look at those three games, the Islanders, the Canadians, and the Kings game, I I mean, you're turning that minus 12 goal differential probably into a plus two goal differential. So you'd be in the green in that circumstance. So, yeah, I I mean, you look at it and you say, you know what, that's that's an improvement. But then when you get into the nitty-gritty of it to where you say a three-game win streak, an eight-game losing streak, and now you're in the midst of a five-game win streak. It's tough. It's very tough. It's like, what what the hell is going on with the season right now? But it all goes back to the constant where if – if I'm a team that is playing well, but I'm getting poor goaltending, I'm concerned. Like, if I'm Pittsburgh right now, and I don't know, people probably haven't been watching a lot of the Pittsburgh Penguins, but if I'm Pittsburgh right now, I'm concerned because they're scoring goals, but they're giving up goals. They've given up 61 goals so far through 17 games. I got offense. I got defense. I don't got goaltending. 
Then you look at the Blues and you sit there and say, your offense hasn't been there all season. Your defense has not been good. But yet in every single game they've performed in, in the second period, in the middle of the second period, I went back and looked at this last night. If you go to the 10-minute mark of the second period in every game, Blues have been within a goal. So they're in all of these hockey games, which is a positive in my mind. And, hey, now you can set uh, an NHL history mark on Saturday. You could be the first team in the NHL to win five straight after losing eight straight. Right? There's, I think there's they're tied other now, team. I thought. I think there's one other team. I think JR said earlier today the Canucks, if I'm not okay, mistaken. Because Montreal was last season where an eight-game losing streak and then a four-game yeah, win streak. I, I think JR said that there's so one other team five. that has, has done what the Blues are trying to accomplish on Saturday. Okay. But they're really close. By the way, did I say NL Central when breaking down did the you? power rankings? I must have. That's um, embarrassing. My oh, apologies. The Jeez. Central Division in the NHL, of course, is You've what I was referencing everybody. here. I was getting to the Paul Goldschmidt conversation that we're going to have coming up here in well, about five minutes don't, or so. don't, because we're here on hockey right now. So that was all the good. Well, the, the, the that's, the only, that's the only good. Can we talk about the fact that Thomas Grice had to save your ass last night? I'd, I'd, I'd prefer not up to. 51 shots. And I'd prefer not to. You nearly lost in overtime and then no. in a, a shootout against the Washington Capitals on a back-to-back where these back-to-backs nope. seem to be a problem for him right now. Alex... Did the good outweigh the bad from last night in your mind? I mean, yeah, the, the good outweighed the bad because you won. And that, to me, felt a little like a trap game because Washington was an underperforming team and you were coming home. Apparently, they got in like two hours later than what they were supposed to from Chicago. So um, road games always concern me. You know, it's like T-Bone's theory of one team that's traveling from west to east coast. It's going to mess them up. Yeah, when you're going from Chicago to St. Louis, it's a tough travel. It messes them up, man. It messes them up. But no, I I mean, look, it was not a pretty game by any means. And yeah, it's very concerning that you were giving up those scoring chances. But it didn't look like a team that couldn't figure out how to play. It looked like a team that got exhausted. It looked like a team that got comfortable with a two-goal lead and said, all right, we can just play defense the rest of the night because we're exhausted. But wait a minute, we can't play defense because these guys are going to jam it down our throats. And that's what they did. Um, The one thing I thought of last night, which, you know, here we go again. Nobody's going to be happy with this comment. I I think you saw what defense looks like without Colton Pareko on the ice. Oh, God. I... uh, (laughs) There's a lot of scrambling going around out there with nobody on defense. Like you had Tyler Tucker playing in your top four there for a little bit, which was a little nerve-wracking. But the good outweighed the bad because you got two points, and that's the only thing you care about in the month of November. Alex Ferrario, I agree with you. There we (laughs) go. Let's go. I I totally agree. Hockey guy BK is with me. I I do think that what you saw last night is, and we learned this lesson the hard way last year, so it's not something we learned last night, but it it showed up once again last night. When you have Nico Mikola taking 33 shifts and Callie Rosen taking 26 shifts and both of those guys playing 20 minutes on the ice. Wait, Callie Rosen? I thought he was good. He's fine. He's awesome. He's perfectly fine. But when those guys are asked to do more than what they should be asked to do, those guys are third-pairing defensemen. And when they're third-pairing defensemen and they're playing 13 to 15 minutes, you feel really great about it. When they have to play in the top four, you feel less great about it. And that's what we saw last night. It was a combination of the guys looked tired. They had a really good push in that first period. And even there, it wasn't like they were dominating with a ton of shots. They just made the best of their opportunities, which is what this Blues team has become known for. They capitalized on some opportunities early. Then it was just like an avalanche of 
capital shots oh, on yeah. net for the next the 40 capitals. minutes, I know. And it was a it, soaring chance of Capitals th- shots. Thank God they finally came away with a win in the shootout. And all's well that ends well, but need they, points. They they have to play better against the Anaheim Ducks because what you saw last night was was not a true representation of what a winning hockey club looks like long term. Do you want to read this text or do you want me to from the 636? Which one? Uh, the one that says, remember when BK was like, oh, goalie bad, boo. I hate the Blues, boo. Grice bad. I love my Peloton and skinny jeans. Yeah, that was pretty accurate. T-Bone, you want to find that audio and we'll play that a little bit later? In 15 minutes, we'll talk to Chris Kerber, the voice of the Blues. Looking forward to getting his perspective on last night's win for the Blues as they go for six in a row on Saturday. I can't wait till they get eight in a row and it's three wins, eight losses, eight wins. What a wild season this has been. We'll talk to Chris Kerber about that coming up in 15 minutes, but coming up next, it was made official last night. Paul Goldschmidt, the best player in the National League all season. I think he locked up his Hall of Fame status last night. We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. The one-two. Goldschmidt hits it out to left, and this will do it. And he does it in grand style. It's a grand slammer. A walk-off grand slam. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. That audio courtesy of Bally Sports Midwest. That was one of many Paul Goldschmidt big moments from the season. And now we can add one more big moment as he won last night the National League MVP. He got 22 first place votes. He got eight second place votes. Everybody who voted voted for Paul Goldschmidt to either get a first or second place vote. Second place in the award was Manny Machado. Nolan Arenado finished in third. Freddie Freeman finished in fourth. And Mookie Betts was fifth. That was the way that the award voting went last night. Let's start with this, Alex. Paul Goldschmidt's season was unbelievable. And I know it finished in a way that none of us would have liked to have seen. But, God, he is an incredibly deserving MVP. And you look back on it, it was the one thing that was really missing from his resume from a personal accolade standpoint. He's finished in the top five multiple times. He's been a gold glove winner multiple times. He's a guy that for his entire career has been considered to be one of, I mean, conservatively speaking, the 10 to 12 best players in all of baseball. The one thing that's really missing is having that one season. I remember we talked to Jeff Passan. I think it was at the beginning of this season. And he said the reason why he wasn't sure that Paul Goldschmidt was going to be a Hall of Famer was because he was kind of the model of consistency as opposed to having any like individual season that you look back on and say, wow, that was really special. Well, now he has that. Now people can look back when he's up for the Hall of Fame and say, hey, his 2022 season, that's when he truly became a Hall of Famer. Yeah, I mean, what was more impressive, I think, for me, um, and I didn't get the chance to go back and look at this, but the fact that he won it at 35 – I mean, how many of the guys on this list won a MVP at the age of 32 or older? Uh, so, I mean, you can look at it. Uh, because, Sarah like, Lang's had this last night. I'll, I'll have to go back and. But, look I mean, at I mean it. just running through this, like, 
uh, Freddie Freeman obviously didn't. Joey Votto didn't. Albert- oh, you're just looking at the first baseman. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm looking at first baseman, not MVPs. I'm looking at first baseman that have won it at the MVP level. But, I mean, you can't just do the MVPs Goldie is also. the ninth oldest MVP in um, – in the divisional era, so wow. since 1969. I mean, that's to me what is actually more impressive because Paul Goldschmidt's resume was, and I mean, we talked about it all the time. It's a guy that was going to start off in the first couple of months of the season poorly, and then when it starts to get hotter outside, he starts to get hotter at the plate and then goes on a run. And you hear that and you say, okay, well, you can't be an MVP. And you could be in the MVP conversation, but if you're not going to sustain a full season, you're probably not going to win that. So the fact that he did that at the age of 35 where most people are like, oh, yeah, you're past your prime, that's what I think was more impressive. But, yeah, I'm with you. I I mean, you look at every statistic that comes with Paul Goldschmidt, whether it's the war, whether it's the uh, amount of um, the, the OPS that he's got, the home runs. Paul Goldschmidt is at the top of those categories, and if you go through the list of first base hall of or first base hall of famers, first baseman who win MVP, Paul Goldschmidt's in pretty damn good company. Yeah, and I'm glad to see that the voters didn't hold that last month against him. I, I know there was a piece that was in, I think it was um, on MLB.com, where it had a couple of writers going back and forth and talking about does the last month of Goldschmidt's season hurt his case for the MVP? Can Manny Machado surpass him? I thought that was a silly and dumb piece. Personally, I, I, oh. well, well, whoa, whoa! I, I, I thought I, it was unnecessary. Like we all knew that Goldie was going to win the MVP, and they, I, I thought they were trying to create drama when there was none. Like Paul Goldschmidt was just clearly the MVP. I yeah, and I'm glad. I'm glad that they. It, that's the way that it ended up falling too, because the fact in there that sure he struggled in the final month, but he was so far and above greater than everybody else in every single month leading up to September. They, to me, you couldn't take away those votes from him, and I think it does make him a Hall of Famer. I mean, you look at his resume; it's unbelievable. He's been a seven-time All-Star, four-time Gold Glove winner, five-time Silver Slugger. I mean, he has he had everything except for really two things, and one of them I don't think you can hold against a Hall of Fame resume. One was an MVP, and now that he's got that, I think it locks him in. And then the other is a World series championship and I, I don't think players should be judged on that because that's not based on uh just an individual performance that's a team and organizational thing so I, I think he locked himself into the hall of fame and i mean he still finished even though he struggled i mean his numbers were unbelievable he still led the league in slugging ops and ops plus i mean he was 180 he was 80 percent above league average which is insane to think about when you go back and watch that paul goldschmidt season yeah it, it was amazing and you look at it now and jaws is something that people will reference when we get around the Hall of Fame voting time. And the reason why is because it's like a it's this rating system uh, that they have developed now. Baseball Reference has it on their site that takes into account basically everything that a player did in their respective careers. And they put it into this formula and it spits out a number on what their Hall of Fame rating would be. Based on that system, the only first baseman with a higher Jaws rating than Paul Goldschmidt that are not currently in the Hall of Fame. Miguel Cabrera, who will be in the Hall of Fame. Joey Votto, who I believe will be in the Hall of Fame. Rafael Palmero, there are outsized uh, uh, other circumstances that have prevented him from getting in. Todd Helton, who I think eventually gets in. And Big Mac, who we understand why he's not in. Paul Goldschmidt's going to be a Hall of Famer. That's that's where we have arrived now, and this was the, the last real thing personally in terms of an accolade that he needed to be able to get that. And then you look at what this means for the Cardinals. It doesn't change anything about how they view Paul Goldschmidt or Nolan Arenado or anything else that those guys finished in the top three for award, for the MVP this year. But I do think it further reiterates the point of especially what you said, Alex, what he's doing at this age. Man, Paul Goldschmidt's not going to do this forever. He's 35 years old. Next year, he's going to be 36, right? 
this is a guy that you want to build around for the now. I understand you are also building around Jordan Walker and Dylan Carlson and Nolan Gorman and all these guys that are coming up and Mason Wynn and Gordon Graceffo and a bunch of these young prospects. But those are maybes. Those are hopefullys. Those are projections. Paul Goldschmidt is certainty. You know exactly what he is right now. And what he is is an annual MVP threat. Nolan Arenado, an annual MVP threat, and you got to build a team right now to be able to get that final piece to his resume that he is missing, and that's the team piece to the resume. Tanner, Matt Holliday talked about this yesterday on with the fast lane where he said, hey, we've got two key building blocks with Arenado and Goldie, and now we just got to build around those guys. Alex, when you look to free agency, you look to the trades this offseason, that should be what is guiding the decisions for the Cardinals, in my mind, is we've got these two guys, they're in their primes, and we don't know how much longer that's going to be the case. We've got to strike while the iron is hot here. And it's what Derek Gould told us yesterday. Like you, you got to look at it by we got to protect our two big hitters and get some offense. That's why I'm not going to be happy with any like, oh, well, they got a catcher, and now I'm looking at the – no, you've got to replace a massive hole that's been left by Albert Pujols. You've got to get somebody that you can confidently say, I'm playing him in the – five hole, four hole, wherever you're going to play him, however you want to distribute it. But I'm playing this individual every single night, either ahead, in between, or after Paul Goldschmidt, Nolan Arenado, and I'm relying on that because they need a third bat. You can't just say, well, it's Goldie and Arenado. Sure, you can look at it and say this team won't survive without those two. They got a hit. I absolutely agree with those people that say that. But you can at least support them by getting another bat to rely on. And I'm not talking about getting a bat who can hit against righties from the left side 50% of the time or your woe bacon, whatever you want to get into. I'm talking about a guy that could play 160 games if you need him to that you can rely on to be a bat every single night. And if you don't do that this offseason, frankly, I think you're leaving your team out to dry. And that's where I came in, too, is, is the fact of the matter that, and, and Derek mentioned this to us yesterday, is you've got Goldie and Arnado guys. Arnado's more in his prime. Goldie's on the back end, heading towards the back end of his prime. This would be back-to-back seasons that Derek mentioned that the Cardinals decided to pass up on the elite shortstop market yeah. when it's been back-to-back off-seasons of arguably the best free agent class that we've seen at that position. And that's where it can become frustrating is I understand building for the future, and I agree that you have to. Good organizations have to have a, a surplus of young talent that they can bring in. But you also have to be willing to spend and add to that. And right now I'm not seeing that from the St. Louis Cardinals. They can go out and get a left-handed bat that's going to come in at $5 million. But does he help you enough to where you think it can propel you towards getting that championship when you've got Goldie and Arnado in your lineup? My opinion, no. I agree with Alex. It needs to be more of the surefire thing that you go and get on the free agent market. And the Cardinals right now just seem to be kind of hesitant to do that, in my opinion. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. We are broadcasting live at the E&B Granite Studios out at the Centene Community Ice Center coming up in about 15 minutes. We're going to give you a chance to win a pair of tickets to see the Retinator. Son of a Thomas Rett Rett will do that coming up in about 15 minutes. Chris Kerber, the voice of the Blues, next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. It's time for Curbside. He shoots, they score! With the voice of the Blues, Chris Kerber. They score! Bring out the Zamboni! Refreshed by Red.
Randall's, St. Louis's number one liquor store. Visit shoprandalls.com. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's B. Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. We are broadcasting live at the E&B Granite Studios out at the Centene Community Ice Center. And right now we are going to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line to be joined by Chris Kerber, the voice of the Blues. You can follow him on Twitter. He is at Chris Kerber. Kerbs, you've been doing this for a long time. I think this is the first time that you've seen a start of a season like this, correct? Yeah, it is. I haven't seen uh, the three streaks that we've seen from a team like this. So, um it's an interesting one, and it's kind of fun to still wonder how this is going to shake out because right now they put themselves right back in the middle of everything. They're right in the middle of the Central Division. We were looking at the standings earlier today. If they pick up a win on Saturday, they're like a, a point right now back of Nashville for fourth in the division. It's wild that the Central has not pulled away in any meaningful way. Uh, Curbs, I wanted to ask you about that win last night, especially with Thomas Grice's performance. When he was signed in the offseason – I think a lot of people looked at what he did last year with Detroit, which was just a mess, and he he didn't play well. And so they looked at it and said, this is a really bad signing by the Blues. But when you looked back at what he had been previously, he was a super solid, at minimum, backup goalie. I think we saw that from him last night, where he has the ability to steal some games for you. What did you see from Thomas Grice last night, and what have you thought of him so far this season as the Blues backup? Well, and we saw we saw the same thing as well in the game against the Winnipeg Jets. So I, I think in in two of the four games that that we have seen him, he's been just outstanding. And and frankly, I just don't think that in any of the four games that he's played, the Blues have been all that great in front of him. So uh, especially when you look at the fact that I think that Winnipeg game and then last night. In those two games, he, he's seeing over an average when you put his four games together. He's seeing over an average of forty shots on goal a game, dude. That's a lot. So um, I think, yeah. He listen. He's been fine. I, I don't know. I, I didn't like his last two games, but again, I, I, I when it comes to goaltending, I always kind of keep the team performance in front of him because goalies can only do so much. And you look at the grade A chances. You know, for example, you go back to Jordan Bennington and. You know, going into that Chicago game, I think you could make the case he'd given up three, maybe four bad goals out of 30, right? So, uh, you know, the kind where you're going, okay, that one might be on the goalie. So I, I, I think in Thomas Grice's case, you've got to give him a chance to have the team be a little bit better in front of him. And, uh, but, but either way, look, that was a goalie win last night without a shred of doubt. I mean, to make, he had to make five consecutive saves in the shootout to secure that win. I mean, because if any one of those go in, the Blues end up losing. So I, I thought he was just outstanding. Curbs, how important is it for the Blues that the Central Division really has just been kind of floundering in their last 10 or so games? I mean, with the exception of the Winnipeg Jets and the Colorado Avalanche, who have eight and seven games or victories in their last 10, Everyone else in the Central has essentially been a 500 team, which has allowed the Blues to put themselves now three points out of being a top three seed in the Central. Now look, all you can do is play the schedule that you're given, and 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 that's it. it I thought the Central Division was going to be pretty doggone tight when you look at it. Now, whether that meant that every team was going to be lights out good or every team was going to be in the middle of the pack, I don't know. But I mean, we're still only 15, 16 games in, depending on the team we're talking about here. So uh, it's it's still going to sort itself out. 
when it comes to head-to-head divisional play, as we've seen even from the Blues, I mean, it's. I, I think Colorado came back to the pack just a little bit. And I don't know that Nashville really added much to their identity. The Winnipeg Jets had question marks when it came to coaching. The consistency with a new coach now of the Dallas Stars is something you just had to wait and see. You knew the Arizona Coyotes weren't going to be very good, and you don't expect the Chicago Blackhawks to be very good. And they had three, you know, they've had a decent number of overtime games, and they still have some decent talent, but they're they're not very good. So I think the Central Division is kind of shaping out in a lot of ways just like we would have expected it to be. And in this case, it really benefits the Blues here because they've been able to kind of keep pace and get the ship right and get back into it. So um, I, I've never been one to look and say, well, this team's got an easy schedule. This team's got a hard schedule. This is fair. This is unfair. It's just the schedule. And and it's done ahead of time without anybody knowing exactly how good a team is going to be or not going to be. But in this case, it's definitely benefited the St. Louis Blues because no one has really you know, gone on that kind of tear, to say like the New Jersey Devils have in the Metropolitan, that, that, have, that have really lopsided the division. Curbs, what's your level of concern with Pareko? Uh, you know what? N- not too much. Uh, I I don't know. I mean, if, if, I'm going to take Maruvi on what he said yesterday when he was asked, and he said, no, it's it's, it's not related to the back. I, I haven't asked myself, to be honest. I've gotten to the point, guys, I don't know where you are with the injuries because because of the upper body, lower body, <laughs> I hate upper body, that. outer body thing. I, I Well, I know, and, and I understand, but it, it's interesting that now, I've gotten to the point now when somebody just tells me a guy's out, I go, okay, he's out. And then what I start to do is I start to decipher just the verbiage, right? If I hear the word re-evaluated in the morning, I start to worry, right? Okay. If if I hear we have to wait and see, I worry a little bit. Um, in this case so far, we've heard day-to-day and things just need to calm down. So to me, uh, my level of concern is not all that much. You know, the fact that he came out and he skated, while he didn't skate in the morning skate, he skated in warm-ups in Chicago. Tells me that it was something he wanted to at least see if he could give it a try, and he did. He didn't look like he was skating very smoothly in, in that warm up. I kept the close, as close an eye as my you know untrained eye can look at something like that. So I guess my concern is not all that big right now. Curbs, final one from me, and we talked about this a little bit last night, but um, Braden Shen, it, it, he has been. I mean, he's been back to the form he was prior to that injury last season, and rightfully so when you play through the year with, what was it, five, six ribs that he was playing with. But how influential is it for this offense to have Braden Shen at the top of his game? Well, it's I mean, it's critical from a standpoint that you think of the fact that he's got more points than anybody on this team since the Blues acquired him from the Philadelphia Flyers. That's crazy. Uh, and especially And especially – well, I think it speaks to just how good he's been, to be honest with you, right? And his and, playing, like his, his his availability, right? Because he's been a guy that's out there almost every night. Yeah, he'll play through anything. I, I've hesitated to use this comparison because I just don't think it's fair. The different errors and Brian Sutter was just a, a unique type of player with what he could do with his toughness, his fights, the scoring, and all, and, and all that he did. But he's as close to the Brian Sutter type player that, that, that the Blues have had in a while, where he can make you pay with terrific offense, and we saw that spectacular shot last night. He will hit anybody, and we saw that with eight hits in the other game. And he'll do it even when he's got cracked ribs. And if the team needs someone to drop the gloves, he's going to be the first one to do it, even though I'm not sure he should be anymore. But he will be uh, the first one willing to do it for the team. And so 
in that sense, I, I've got this comparison in my head of, of, of a Brian Sutter style, you know, that is just so suitable for somebody wearing the St. Louis Blues jersey. And I love what Braden Shen brings from a leadership standpoint, from a calm standpoint, from a championship standpoint. And frankly, it still rings true. He is better off with this team, and this team is better off when Braden Shen is playing at center. And this, it's because you've got what Levo's come into the lineup, and you've got the return, obviously, of Butch Navich and Saad coming back from their injuries. Since they've been able to get Braden Shen back at center, you put Cairo on his wing, you've got Barbashev on the other. This has looked like a completely different balanced team, hasn't it? It, it really has. Curves, we appreciate the time as always. Enjoy yourself tomorrow night. Hopefully the Blues can capture some even more history as they go for six straight after that eight-game losing streak. We'll talk with you again next week, and uh, enjoy yourself on the holidays, my friend. All right, guys. Uh, have an awesome week, and if we don't talk next week, have a great Thanksgiving. Thank yes, you. sir. Same to you. That is Chris Kerber, the voice of the Blues here on 101 ESPN. In about 15 minutes or so, we're talking Wilson Contreras. The buzz is only growing louder, and that's not going to stop anytime soon. We'll talk about that coming up at noon. But next, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. We will get into Ask Us Anything, sports or otherwise. If you guys have any questions, get them in on the Air Comfort Service text line, and we'll have your chance to win some tickets to see the Retinator, Thomas Rett, here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe? Text now to 65780. It's BK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. Brought to you by James Carlton with State Farm. Have drivers under 25 on your insurance? Save hundreds of dollars a year with CarltonInsurance.net. 5780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line for Ask Us Anything. You guys get your questions in right now, sports or otherwise. Let's start with this from the 314. Hey, guys, what did you think of the Blues Yellow Sweaters last night? I was a big fan. I was not. Was not a big fan. I, uh... I, you and Braden Shin have that in common. I, well, <laughs> Braden Shin's a very intelligent man then. I just... I, I, I think the concept is cool, and I think if you talk to anybody who was watching the original Blues back in 1967. It's probably really cool for them to see that original concept come back of the jersey, but I don't like the yellow. I, I think the yellow is too bright. I think it's, I think it gets away from the Blues tradition. Like the red ones. Like the red ones. Um, but, like, I, it's too close to Nashville for me, and it's too close to, like, Pittsburgh for me. Like, it's just not the blue, so I didn't like them at all. Yeah, I, I I like the concept of them, and then I thought they looked good in like the photos, like before the game and when they announced it. And then I saw them on ice and admitted it, and I went, yeah, I'm out. Actually, I'm out. I I agree with you. That to me, they were too bright. They remind me too much of what Nashville was, and it just didn't feel like Blues hockey. So I, I'm out on the jersey. There's too much yellow last night at the game. Like even on the jumbotron, it was like bright yellow. It was blinding in there. Yeah, I'm out. But I understand why they're doing it. They want to sell jerseys. <laughs> like we don't have to make this more complicated than it is. It's a smart marketing tactic. They put them out there. Kids probably liked them. I'm sure there's a decent portion of our our listenership right now. Yeah, stepdad that love Gary them. loves them. Absolutely. I, I'm sure there's a good amount of people that love them. Different strokes for different folks. Not my thing. Um, but if you liked them, good for you. I got no issues with it. Try new things. I've got no problem with the it. Best ones are uh, the clown jerseys. The reverse retros. Yep. Yeah. 
Prove me wrong. People liked them. Uh, 65780 is your comfort service text line. This one comes from the 314. Guys, what do you think about taking a chance on Cody Bellinger? It sounds like John Morosi is saying he expects that the Dodgers should trade or release him by the end of the day today. So let's start with a little bit of the backstory here. I, if I'm not mistaken, today is the deadline to tender or non-tender players. And Cody Bellinger is expected to make $20 million this year if tendered by the L.A. Dodgers. That's not going to happen because he's been terrible for the last two years. So the Dodgers will most likely either lowball him on an offer where they give him like, I don't know, $10 million, $12 million, something like that, hoping for a bounce back, or they'll trade him prior to the deadline or just non-tender him entirely and decide to move on. I think the most likely option here, because I don't think anybody's trading for him at that price, is to non-tender him and then he'll become a free agent. Maybe you can get him for like a one-year $5 million deal. I am not interested in Cody Bellinger. And the reason why is because of this. Over the last two seasons, this is what he's done against right-handed pitching. 2021, a 185 batting average with a 600 OPS. Last year, a 210 batting average with a 680 OPS. There are other options on the market. This team needs certainty that have way more certainty against right-handed pitching than Cody Bellinger does. I would rather get Ben, uh, ben Gamble, Tyler Naquin and David Peralta than uh, Cody Bellinger. And I know that sounds crazy because Bellinger won an MVP. Those guys are better baseball players right now for what the Cardinals need them to do than Cody Bellinger is. So I am out. I know Tanner's out. I am so out. (laughs) I'm with with BK. If the Dodgers can't fix Cody Bellinger, nobody can fix Cody Bellinger. Yeah, I I mean, I I understand that and... I think I would still take a chance on him if it played into my hands correctly. I'm not trading for him if he's released and he's available and you could get him for a really cheap opportunity. But I might take a chance. there better options? Yeah, I mean, there's better options, but I mean, a lot of them you're taking a chance on also. So if I'm going to take a chance on somebody, I might but are take... are you? Like, why, why am I... You're telling me that a, a certainty is Ben Gamble? Way more certain than uh, than what you're getting out of. I'm sorry, but Ben Gamble doesn't get me excited. You no. give me all the numbers to it, and it doesn't get me excited. Neither should Cody Bellinger. I, but again, if I'm taking a chance on a bat to actually come through for me, I'm going to hope that I can take a chance on a guy and get him back to an MVP form. The Dodgers had the exact same thought process over the last two years, and it left them with a terrible outfielder that left them light in the outfield. The Cardinals already have the numbers and the upside baked into their outfield. They need certainty. They need a left-handed hitter that can come in. I know these guys aren't, they're not world beaters. But over the last two years, Ben Gamble has a 750 OPS against righties. Naquin, 750 OPS. Peralta, 780 OPS against right-handed pitching. I will go down the route with any of those three than Cody Bellinger. Because Cody Bellinger's bad right now. He's just he's not a not a very good baseball player. Uh, 65780 is the air. To be fair, though, he is athletic, and he does play much better defense than the guys that I referenced. So if you're looking for a glove, I could see how maybe he would fit into that category. Uh, 65780 is the air comfort service text line for Ask Us Anything. This one comes from the 573. This is for you, Alex. What has your opinion been on Jordan Cairo's play during this winning streak and how he has been impacting the team lately? I mean, it absolutely has been noticeable, and it has been much better. Um, last night, I don't think anybody really had a great game in terms of playing the 200-foot style, but the three games on the road trip, I mean, he was back-checking. Actually, that's not true. I got to give Kairu some props last night because he he stick, 
he he lifted the stick of Dylan Strom on a breakaway where Strom was about to just score a goal on Thomas Grice, and Kairou came back and stole the puck from him by lifting his stick. So I'll give him credit. He's playing better in his own zone. He's more responsible. He's creating scoring chances for himself, and he's getting grade-A scoring chances every single game. That's what uh, Barubi said pregame last night. He said, like, look, he may not have had the intensity in his game and the responsibility in his game in the first chunk of the season, but he was creating grade-A scoring chances for himself. And he's like, that's what we want from him. So um, I've I've enjoyed it. I think you're starting to see a confident Jordan Cairo, and I hope that continues because he is a he's a key for this team in terms of their success down the stretch. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line with Alex Ferrario and Tater Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. Now is your chance. This is your chance to score a free pair of tickets to see the Ratinator, Thomas Rhett's home team tour with special guest Cole Swindell on Saturday, May 20th at Enterprise Center. Tickets are on sale now. You can also find a bonus chance to win free tickets on 101ESPN.com or the free 101 ESPN app. But why do that when you can listen to 101 ESPN? This is your first of two chances today on BK and Ferrari to win a pair of tickets to see the Retinator. All you have to do, be texter number 101 at 65780. And if you can tell us, what division earlier today I said that the the Blues were in? What division earlier today did I say that the Blues were in when I was talking about the power rankings? If you know the answer to that question, you're going to see the Retinator coming up in May. Coming up next, though. How many we, people aren't going to text in the answer because they don't know who the hell the Retinator is? I said Thomas Rhett. Why, why do you the, say the it like big that? big Rhett. Every time you say it like that. Big T. Big T Rhett. <laughs> I know you're not that close friends with him. Coming up in 15 minutes, we'll get to our football pick of the week. It is uh, the, the draft order has been set. Tanner's picking first. I am picking second. Alex is picking third. Oh, we'll that's get to not that flawed, Coming up in 15 minutes, Alex will tell us what our new punishment is going to be. But coming up next, the Wilson Contreras buzz only seems to be growing louder by the day. We'll explain why coming up here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. He's Tanner Hendrickson, and I'm Brandon Kiley. We're broadcasting live at the NB Granite Studios out at the Centene Community Ice Center. And according to John Heyman, how about this, Alex? This is breaking news. Breaking the Cardinals news. are pursuing free agent catcher Wilson Contreras and, quote, look like a potential landing spot for the former Cub, end quote. Okay, not a lot of breaking news say, here. Wait, where's the breaking news? We, we knew I that this was it. the case. He added that while the Astros are also linked to Contreras, St. Louis is among the teams at the forefront of the talks, end quote. Okay, so this is a story that's being passed around on social media today because John Heyman reported it, and so it's a national news story. We knew, though, previously. This is no new information, so let's not count it twice as information. No, just count it the once, and then we can react to it again if we want to. But he just said it now, and this is new. The new part of this story that I find interesting, not even new necessarily, but the part of the story that I find interesting, he adds that other catching possibilities include free agents Christian Vasquez, uh, Mike Zanino, and trade candidates Danny Jansen and Sean Murphy, end quote. If that's true, if the Toronto Blue Jays, instead of trading Christian, God, I'm going to do that every single time that we talk about Christian him. Kirk plays football. Instead man. of trading Alejandro Kirk, 
are dangling Danny Jansen in trade talks, I'm not all that interested in making that deal because it would probably still require you to trade Lars Newtbar. And for, for Alejandro Kirk, I, I'd be willing to talk about that. For Danny Jansen, I'm really not. So then you're shift, or you shift your focus to Sean Murphy. Sean Murphy makes a lot of sense not only for the Cardinals, but also for the Astros and about a dozen other teams. Why is that, BK? Because he's cheap. He's cost-controlled, and he's very good. He's a great defensive catcher. He's excellent offensively as well. He's like 20% above league average. He's not all that different offensively than what you're expecting out of Will Contreras. So a lot of teams are going to be in on that bidding when it comes to the prospect capital that they can put up because they can afford him for not just now but for the foreseeable future. So Sean Murphy's price might get to the point where the Cardinals say, it's not worth it. He, he's a very good player, but we don't need to go that route. And then it ends up being a quote-unquote bidding war between them and maybe one or two other teams for Wilson Contreras, and maybe that doesn't get out of hand. Maybe because of the qualifying offer, other teams are out on Wilson Contreras, and they can get him instead of $20 million per year at like a $16 million per year contract. Alex, I think that's the scenario where I have been all in on the Alejandro Kirk or Sean Murphy train. If the market starts to come back to you on Contreras and it starts to go way crazy on the trade options, that's how I get myself to being very interested and just saying, you know what, forget the trade market. I'm just going to go acquire Wilson Contreras and pay him the money that I have to. Uh, that And that's why I think – and that's the better way to put it for me. That's why I – feel like I've always been closer to the Wilson Contreras route than the trade route because I am worried that that trade route gets really absurd and I don't know if you want to dive into those waters if it gets that crazy I also don't want to spend 20 million dollars on Wilson Contreras so maybe that does have to kind of be tempered down a little bit if it drops that's where you dive in but I mean if you could get Wilson Contreras for 15 mil per year and go three four years with him maybe I mean I think that would be the route to go because then you're still you're still adding offense at the catcher position. You might be back a little when it comes to the defensive side of things and the handling of pitching staff side of things, but you're also keeping all of the other weapons for you offensively, and you can either use those pieces for you in the upcoming season and go committee to try and fill that Albert Pujols role like we've talked about if you're not getting the shortstop, or you can use those assets in another trade to make your team better rather than going out there and spending too much on that catcher position. So I, I think for me, until I see what the result is at the catcher position, Contreras is going to be the better option, mostly because of what you're going to have to pay to get one of those catchers in terms of a trade. Yeah, and I, I agree with that, and especially if it is Danny Jansen at third, because I agree with BK. I, I don't have that much interest in Danny Jansen. He's fine, but I'm not sure he's the number one guy for you. And then Sean Murphy would be good, but I, I don't know. I'm not all that in on Sean Murphy, especially for what he's going to cost. If he w- didn't cost as much prospect capital uh, or trade asset capital that it looks like it's going to cost you, then I'd have interest. But I'm not in for the bidding war that's going to occur on him. And if Contreras' market doesn't really develop based on the reports that it sa- sounds like it's not – that I would be in on Wilson Contreras. I'd be trying to get him in on a lower-than-expected deal, do the three years, whether it be the $15 million that Alex mentioned, because then you basically kill two birds with one stone. You go and get that third impact bat that you're looking for, and it also happens to be that it's upgrading the catcher position significantly, and then you've also got probably a couple million dollars that you can still sprinkle, whether it be you're looking for a left-handed outfielder or you're looking for another bolt pin arm that can come in with some swing-and-miss stuff.
65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. we got a few questions to answer really quickly from the 314. Why, why are the Cardinals' top catching prospects not viable options to be starters for them next year? Because the Cardinals do not believe, at least at this point, that Yvonne Herrera is ready for the big leagues. They also do not believe at this point that Andrew Kisner is an everyday starting catcher. And you can just look back to the production from last year. I like Andrew Kisner a lot. I think he's a really solid backup catcher. I do not think he's a starter in the big leagues right now. And the Cardinals need more offensive production from that spot. So that's why they don't see them as being um, legitimate starters right now. From the 6-3-6, wouldn't the A's want to keep Sean Murphy? He's a cost-controlled player. Isn't that something that they would want on their team? Well, he's about to get a little bit more expensive, and he doesn't have like seven years left of cost control, which means that the A's trade him because that's what they do with all of their players when they get to this point in their careers. Uh, from the 630, guys, isn't it strange that the team that Wilson Contreras is with right now doesn't want to resign him? I don't take anything that the Cubs do as being a reason to not follow in there or to follow in their path. The Cubs also let every other player from their championship team go other than they've got one left. Who is it? Kyle Uh, Hendricks. Kyle Hendricks. That's the only guy remaining from their World Series championship team. Should they have let all of those guys go? No. You're telling me Anthony Rizzo couldn't have helped this team? Of course he could have. But the Cubs are cheap, and they decided to go this route instead. So I I don't think that's a reason not to go after Wilson Contreras personally. So you you look at all of the available catchers. I I think that the place that it started, which was us talking about Wilson Contreras, might end up being the most realistic place to where it ends. And that's the latest on that. There's really nothing new in terms of like a report that the Cardinals are interested. We've known they're interested. And now it's just a matter of how long it takes for that market to develop. Now, something that did develop yesterday is we had a good conversation with Derek Gould of the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, Alex. And he brought up the Cardinals' need to augment the offense. We asked him about that, and we said, okay, how, how do they go about doing that? Of course, you got to get the catcher. We think that'll be help to, to make this offense better. What else do they need to do? A left-handed bat would be really appealing for this team. Left-handed power is what plays in the postseason. We see that. Left-handed power is what plays against hard right-handed elite starting pitchers. Who did the Cardinals have problems with this past season? Right-handed elite starting pitchers. Who beat them in the playoffs? Back-to-back standout right-handed pitchers. Some kind of left-handed deterrent or change to that middle of the order makes a lot of sense for this team. Now, let's go down this path. Let's say that they end up getting Wilson Contreras, Alex. Cardinals don't have a whole lot of money left to spend because they just spent 15 to $20 million on their catcher, right? So that changes the market that they can play in when it comes to the left-handed bats that we're talking about. So if they end up, and I agree with Derek Gould, I think they could definitely use another left-handed bat. When they were at their best offensively last year, it was in the second half of the season. It was when Lars Newtbar was doing his thing. And let's not forget, Corey Dickerson was out there doing his thing in the second half as well. Uh, as like a to si- forget. No, that's not fair. Corey Dickerson was really good for the Cardinals, was one of the best hitters in Major League Baseball for like a two-month stretch. And they're going to miss that if they don't have him or somebody similar to him going into next season. None of these guys, I want to say this on the front end because I think I say this till I'm blue in the face and nobody, people still get mad at me for recommending these players. These are not going to be exciting, but they're players that I think that the Cardinals need in order to improve what they have offensively against right-handed pitching. Alex, here's why. Last year against right-handed pitching, 
these were your guys that were above league average against righties. You hearing this? You with me? I'd prefer not to, but yeah, I'm here. Paul Goldschmidt, 900 OPS. Nolan Arenado, 880 OPS. Donovan, 775 OPS. Same thing was true for uh, Lars Newtbar. After that, it fell off of a cliff. It was 740 for Albert and Yepes. It was 740 for Dickerson. It was 725 for Gorman. No other player that is expected back on the Cardinals next year had an OPS last year against right-handed pitching of better than 720. That's bad. You need guys that can help you against righties. So who can you go to if you are getting Wilson Contreras, who is actually quite good against right-handed pitching? Over the last two years, he's at 770, so that should help you. Who else can you go out there on a one-year deal, cost-controlled, relatively affordable, not signing them to a long-term deal? So we have already ruled out Benintendi and Nimmo. Those guys are off the market for you. Yeah, Tanner. Who else can you go out there that's going to be a reasonable price that you could acquire? David Peralta, Tyler Naquin, Ben Gamble, Michael Brantley. Uh, No, he's okay. And Michael Conforto. Michael Conforto. Michael Brantley is the number one name on that list, and there is no close second. Last two years, Michael Brantley has an 890 OPS against right-handed pitching. Alex, that is Paul Goldschmidt. I see your 890 OPS, and uh, Michael Conforto in his career has an 873 OPS. Okay, so you you saw me and you did the opposite of phrasing. Uh, I just kind of I kind of like (laughs) laid the same cards that you hit. Like you had a full house, I raised a full house also. Tyler Naquin, 800 OPS against right-handed pitching over the last couple of seasons. Uh, ben Gamble over the last two seasons. I know, I know. It's Ben Gamble, BK. That's what are Corey you doing? Dickerson 2.0. You're talking about like a 760 OPS against right-handed pitching. Tyler Naquin, 750 OPS. David Peralta, 780 OPS. These guys help you. They are better than what you currently have on the roster. The projection on Gamble is $2.5 million. The projection on Peralta is like $8 million. The projection on Naquin is about $5 million. Projection on Brantley and Conforto are around $15 million. If you can't afford Brantley and Conforto, that's the market that you're swimming in. Tanner, how do you feel about it? I I don't mind those names at, at, as long as we're going with that caveat that you've gotten Contreras as the impact bat. Then I don't mind going in and swimming in those waters. I I like Peralta probably the best if we're limiting Brantley. And uh, I think I don't have that much interest in Gamble if I'm being honest with you or Naquin. But why? Explain it to me. I, you Explain know, it to I, me. I look at those guys. For the and, Pirates. I look at those guys and I don't go, ooh, that's that's nice. And <laughs> I I look at I look at Peralta and I go when he's healthy and he's right. He's really good against right-handed pitching, and I get it that he's an older player. Uh, I don't have interest in Conforto just because of the shoulder injury, and I know that we, we, ruled ha- we ruled him out. Uh, who in the one of, that one, the one you I'm get, but Michael Brantley has played like a combined 130 games over the last three years, but that one you say is better than Conforto. Two years ago, Michael Brantley was healthy. Two years ago, Conforto was healthy. Yeah. And then his shoulder gave out. Shoulder issues, I, I do. Uh, shoulder issues are concerning. I, two years ago, Michael Brantley played 120 games. That's that's a totally reasonable um, expectation for him. And Michael Brantley, every time he's been healthy, has been an awesome, awesome baseball player. Um, I think Brantley is clearly my number one guy. Like I agree. If, if they can afford him, oh. if they can get the 15 Guys. million dollars, he is like without a doubt the number one target that I would have as a left-handed bat. I do have legitimate questions about the the shoulder. For Michael Guys. Conforto, I like I like him if he's healthy, but I have no idea how we can be certain that he's healthy. Uh, the answer has just been found. It just got uh, breaking news from the Cardinals. They signed five minor league free agents, including drum roll, please, T Bone, 
Oscar Mercado is back with the Cardinals organization, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. The fourth outfielder has returned. <laughs> By the way, he's a righty. So, Do you guys agree with Derek Gould, though, like the premise that it would be helpful for them to get another left-handed bat to basically replace the roster spot that Corey Dickerson had last year? Or do you, we have had this come in a few different yeah, times. Yeah, it's a, it's a bench bat. It's a bench left-handed bat is what we're talking about. A, a platoon bat in the outfield. A guy that starts yeah. for you like 60% of the time, the way that Corey Dickerson did last year when he was healthy. The thing that we have received a little bit of on the text line, and I do think it's a fair retort, but I would I would push back because I don't think it's certainty. They've said, what about Alec Burleson? Why, why not just go with him instead? I don't. We saw Alec Burleson last year. Still, I didn't unknown. see a whole lot that was that led me to believe that this is a guy that you you have to have on the big league roster next year. And what I would say is, you could just have you could have him and start in the minors. And if you end up needing him at some point next year, you can bring him up. I would rather have multiple options than just the one. Uh, if, as T Bone mentioned, if we're going under the premise that I have Wilson Contreras on my team, and now you're adding that platoon bench fourth outfielder bat. I, I do agree you need to get somebody who can hit left-handed, and you need somebody with a little bit more consistency. And that's why at the top of my list would be Michael Brantley and Michael Conforto. Why'd you smile? Who do you think I was going to say? Because Conforto is just I, – I don't know how you can make the case that he's – Because he's healthy now, man. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> he's going to go out there. He's going to post 35 home runs, and you're going to say, Alex, I should have listened to you just like your prop bet I, yesterday I, on Christian I, Watson. I think I'm more in on him than Tanner is, to be yeah, fair. I, I think it's Tanner more, hates Michael Conforto, I, I but he hates it, good baseball I, players. I think it's more likely Conforto hits like three home runs and is back in AAA at some point I, this I year. I will make that bet with you right now. Throw the ante out whatever you want. I guarantee you he will be better. Better than that this upcoming season, whomever he plays with. Let's wait and see who this. Oh, now let's wait and see. The Central Division has given the Blues exactly what they need. We'll tell you what that is coming up at 1230. Football Pick'em is next. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Turning chunky. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. It is time. <laughs> oh, God. For the football pick'em challenge. I taste that mayonnaise right now. Thanks for that. <laughs> That's what it sounded like yesterday as Alex served his punishment. Our draft order is set. We have nine games, four in the NFL, five in college football. If you're new to this, we have three punishments that will be on the board for this upcoming week. Alex will update that coming up at the end of this segment. We have nine games that we select from. Each of us gets three picks. It is a snake draft. It starts with Tanner, then me, then Alex, then Alex again as we snake it back around. Tanner, you got the first pick. Who are you going with this week? Guys, I can't believe this is only a two and a half point line. I know they're on the road. But they're in the college football playoff. The Horn Frogs are clearly better than the Baylor Bears. I like TCU in this one, hey, minus two and a half on the road. It. I know. I, makes me feel really confident. <laughs> two and a half TCU on the road. I like that pick, T-Bone. I was actually going to go with that. So, Where are you? Really I, feel that way, I, huh? I don't trust either of your guys' uh, thought process on the well, Pick'em Challenge. I don't, I don't know who cancels out who. I guess the fact that he's had six punishments and I've only had three yeah, it makes should feel cancel better. that out. So It's not ideal. I, I'll, I'll be honest. It's definitely not what you want. For my first pick, I'm also going with college football. I'm going to the SEC where, I'll be honest, I don't understand this spread either. It is also two and a half. 
It is Ole Miss, who is also on the road at Arkansas. I don't think Arkansas is very good. And they're a two-and-a-half-point underdog? I think Ole Miss might win this big. I've got Ole Miss minus the two-and-a-half on the road at Arkansas. Woo pig suey. More like woo pig suey. Go ahead, Alex. <laughs> what the heck was that? What just happened? <laughs> I was trying to did, did he just? Something. Did he just cuss? I short-circuited. Did he just cuss at me on the air and I just didn't know? I, I short-circuited. I'm sorry. Like, Go what the hell Alex, just happened? Bring us out of this. My God, man. Oh. You know, you lose two automatically for that. Yeah, I was going to say, can he just lose this week? I'm sorry. <laughs> Surprisingly, I apologize to all of you listeners, honestly, for putting you through that. Yeah, That's on That me. was brutal. Surprisingly, I'm going to start with college football also. Um, oh, this is a good I this one. this was against your code. Uh, it is, but I mean, NFL treated me pretty poorly last week, too. So, And the, the slate of NFL games just are terrible. Um, I'm I'm taking Oklahoma State plus seven and a half. Now I I know they're on the road, but they're the better team, and I, I think Oklahoma actually wins. But I don't think they cover that seven and a half spread. So I'm going to go uh, OSU plus seven and a half as my first pick. Um, second pick, my God, I, I'm I'm trending towards the Cowboys and Vikings game. My gut tells me to go with the Cowboys here because I don't think they go back-to-back awful performances defensively. And Ezekiel Elliott's going to be back. <sighs> I'm going to freaking lose again this week, aren't I? Cowboys minus one and a half on the road. Didn't sound too confident in that. It, I, I wasn't, so, but. How are you feeling about that one? Before we started this segment, I felt actually pretty confident yeah. with it. After I said it, I feel awful. That's what this does to me. So, Marshy just texted me and said, don't do it. Marshy, you're a Vikings fan, so I can't listen to you. I think what I'm going to do, I don't feel good about this one. I want to say this up front. I'm blaming somebody for my loss if this goes poorly. Bill Connolly, I think, is one of the smartest college football minds in the country. No, Jeff Saturday is. College football. He's college he football. has something called SP+. It's an advanced metric that he's developed, Alex. Oh, God. <laughs> of course you like this guy. <laughs> he has not only UCLA covering the spread against USC. He actually has UCLA winning this game outright against USC. They are a two-and-a-half-point underdog in this game against USC. I'm going to take UCLA. Let's go, Bruins. Let's go win the Pac-12. Bruins win it. Plus two-and-a-half. You got to make some weird sound again that you did on your previous pick and <laughs> no, try and back that up. No. Yeah, you're going to do like you a bear noise. Sui. <laughs> oh, man. I, I say you saw-ui. This has got to be one of the first weeks that I've really looked at all the games when I don't feel comfortable on any of these. I, I hate every game yeah, on this list. Yeah, every I, game on this list is awful. This is what losing does to you. It makes you really second-guess everything. I think I'm going to go to Sunday night football. Man, oh, the God, Chiefs no, are beat up with wide I know they're beat up at wide receiver. Um, I think I'm gonna still going to take the Chargers stink. They, they got bad coaching. It's going to hurt them. I'm taking the Chiefs minus four and a half. And then with the other game... You didn't sound confident with that, buddy. No, man. I don't feel confident in any of these. I think I'm going to go with... They can't lose to them. 
they can't get blown out by him again, right? I'm going to take did you, did Oregon. You the confidence? I'm going to take Oregon at home plus two and a half oh, against the that. Utah Utes. I hate that. Oh god. So you left the. I didn't like that game. Tanner's either. going two favorites and one underdog right now. BK's got one there, favorite, one underdog. I, I will say this. Me. I even made a mental note of this, and it's a shame I've already kind of taken my finger off the piece. That line in that Oregon-Utah game has moved from Oregon being favored by three to two and a half in favor of Utah. So somebody knows something. I think I just committed myself to a trap game. I'm going to prepare myself for my punishment next week. You guys know how much I... I really love what we've seen from Justin Fields. I think he's been great. I also think that this line's fishy. I think that... Good thing the Bears are playing because they love fish. It's weird to me that the Falcons are a three-point favorite against the Bears. 80% of the tickets so far have come in on the Bears. The public loves Chicago. I've been going with the public a lot this year, and I learned earlier this week that this is the worst betting season for the public in the history of the NFL. (laughs) So. Changes this week. I'm fading the public. I'm taking the Falcons, the famous last words. Oh, my God. As a three-point home favorite. Don't do it. They will make Justin Fields look silly. It sounds like they might be getting their best cornerback, A.J. Terrell, back this week. Give me the Falcons minus the three points against the Bears. Don't like that pick. Okay, so I get the the crap that is the Jets and the Patriots. Woo! Oh, son of a nutcracker. So what, they played each other last week, two weeks ago. Oh. Ah! Man, this is really exuding confidence too. No, this sucks. Um, I think the Jets' defense is better than the Patriots' offense. Oh. Come on, man! You got to make a pick. <laughs> Come on, man! I just had to drink coffee with mayonnaise. You understand why I'm a little hesitant to make this damn pick right now? All right, I'll take. Um, I'll take the I'll take the Jets plus three and a half. Sauce Gardner better bring the hot sauce this week. You're taking the Jets. The second time that Bill Belichick has seen Zach Wilson. You're taking the, the his, Jets. Hey, against, his hands already off the Belichick. piece, man. It's it's been settled. I see it on I, the that document. Was your it counts. You you did this. You could have had. Well, you're questioning it. The Patriots. So I'm. Feeling a little bit better about it now. I do like that you got three and a half. The hook is nice there. Don't love that you took the Jets. In 15 minutes, we'll dive into the junk drawer coming up next, though. The Central Division is providing the Blues exactly what they needed. We'll tell you what that is coming up here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Handed shooter picks it up on the blue dotted center, brings it in from the right side, 
Wait, shoot, save, Bryce! Bring out the Zamboni! The Blues battle back in the shootout. They steal the win right back from the Caps. They've won five in a row. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. The Blues are back on track. They get another win last night. I know it wasn't pretty. Alex, frankly, I don't care. It was the back end of a back-to-back. You had your backup goalie in. You had Colton Pareko out in that one. March games are when they need to be pretty wins. November, you just need wins. Get the wins, and especially with the way that the season had been going over the last couple of weeks when they lost eight in a row, I'm not going to be greedy on how they win. Just find (laughs) a way to get the win. That's what I care about right now. And that's what hasn't been happening in the rest of the Central Division. Alex, I'm shocked. When I woke up this morning and looked at the uh, Central Division standings, when I saw that the Blues right now are tied for fifth in the Central with Minnesota, and oh, by the way, they have a game in hand on Minnesota, and they're only one point behind of Nashville, another team that they have a game in hand on, I, I couldn't believe it because... This team was left for dead by everybody, including us locally, honestly. We were talking about, is not us, the general, the president of hockey operations was saying this team's either not as good as I thought it was going to be, or they're playing poorly right now, and we got to find out which one it is, and if it's the former, we're going to have to start making some moves, and there may be a rebuild that's coming. His words, not mine. And now, two weeks later, they're right back into the mix of things. They're like a point or two out of the playoffs. Alex, did the Central Division, and really is the Central Division still, providing the Blues the benefit of time. They allowed the Blues to be able to find their game, and they didn't bury them when they had the opportunity to do so. Is that what happened? Absolutely. Um, and honestly, it's just the Western Conference in itself. The Western Conference is awful this year, at least to start things off with the exception of the Vegas Golden Knights. I mean, Vegas is sitting at 14-4 and four with 28 points, but here's the thing. The worst team in each division in the West is currently sitting seven points or less out of a playoff spot. Like Anaheim is only seven points away from Edmonton for a playoff spot. And Arizona is only four points away from a playoff spot in the Western Conference. So what the Central Division specifically has done has honestly done the opposite of what Doug Armstrong said the Blues need to do in terms of jam the knife in the brain and kill off the opponent. Like, Everyone has just been scuffling in the early portion of the season, which has allowed the Blues to find their game. And what's scary about that is we've seen in the past couple of years that if you allow a Craig Berube team time to figure out what they're doing wrong and why they're doing it wrong and give them enough space to figure it out, pick up points, and put themselves back into playoff contention – they become a more dangerous team. And that's what the Central Division has done. Dom at The Athletic, the statistics said the Minnesota Wild this year were going to be the second-best team in the Western Conference. Minnesota has won four games in their last ten. They're 2-5-1 and one on home ice, and they're sitting at the same point, the same amount of points and a lower point percentage than the St. Louis Blues with one game in hand on them. You know who else has the same points percentage as the Blues so far this year? That unbelievable Calgary team that was assembled during the offseason. Like, it, it's just, it's so strange, man. The the it, the Western Conference and the Central Division, like Nashville, same points percentage on the season as the Blue. Edmonton is like one point ahead in yep. terms of where they're at in the standings right now than the Blues. This is not the, this is not the conference that we expected it to be. And I, I think we get so focused locally. I do this. I can only speak for myself where I I get like hyper-focused on the teams that we're covering on a day-to-day basis. And sometimes it's hard to zoom out on, okay, our team is struggling. 
they must be the worst team in the NHL. And then you take this focus out and you look at it and you're like, oh, everybody's going through the same struggles right now. Or, or most of these teams are. Heck, Curves uh, mentioned this earlier today. I, I hadn't really looked at it, honestly, because of how far back I thought the Blues were. Colorado's having some struggles of their own on the season so far this year. Yeah, they got some goaltending problems right now. It, it's just been a strange start to the season. The Eastern Conference is much better at the top than the Western Conference has been so far this year. And for the Blues, you couldn't have asked for anything better. All, all they needed was, hey, c- can we just – can you guys chill out a little while yeah. while we figure our stuff out internally? Because we need some time. And after a little bit – if after a little while, they figured it out. But there was a chance that they got a little buried by the rest of the Central Division. And that, that just didn't happen. They, they never got to that point. And it's weird, too, because with the exception of New Jersey, Boston, and Vegas, you put the Blues in any conference, they're within striking distance of a playoff spot. But because they're in the Central, you're talking about – a game and an overtime loss, and they're right back into a top three position. And here's the thing about the Central Division. Winnipeg is a team that always starts out hot and then starts to falter a little bit. Dallas can be the exact same way. Colorado is going to be the best team in the Central probably when they get healthy with Gabriel Landeskog and all of the players that they're missing. But Nashville's not a threat anymore. Minnesota's not a threat anymore. And Chicago and Arizona are going to be bottom dwellers, especially when Chicago trades away their pieces. So you're talking about four teams in the Central Division that are going to be jockeying for the top four spots, which are going to be playoff positions. So for St. Louis, it's really going to come down to what's your advantage to these other teams? And if you put all four of those teams in a category, you kind of look at the goaltending side of things and you look at the head coaching side of things and you say, I'd put Barubi up there with Jared Bettnar from Colorado and I'd put Bennington for the way he's playing up against any of these goaltenders. So you just need to figure the rest of your game out, which I think partially is why Craig Ruby has been so cautious with some of these injuries. Buchnevich was long-term. Brandon Saad was long-term. Colton Pareko was now at least two games for you. You have the luxury of resting these guys rather than saying we need them back in the lineup because we're falling so deep in the division, which gives you the opportunity to have players healthier than what it would be, say, if this was going on in February or March and you're forcing guys to play because you need to make the playoffs. You mentioned the Pareko injury. That's the last thing that I wanted to get to here because speaking of time, they might need some time with Pareko. What's going on here? Here's what Craig Berube had to say yesterday before the game. I think um, hopefully get some relief here couple days not doing anything so that's what I believe upper or lower upper is it related to his back injury no that's all we got it's an upper body injury they said the other day they're hoping that it calms down and now they're saying that they hope that as he is not doing anything he's got a little bit of rest it gets better And then when asked, is this related to the back injury from a couple of years ago, Craig Berube definitively said no. Okay. I believe them because we have no reason not to believe them. I'm very curious to see how long this lasts, and I'm hopeful, I I hope badly, honestly, that this is just a short-term injury. He's going to miss a couple of games, and everything's going to be good. Because for the Blues, when you look at their blue line right now, Alex, if you have Colton Pareko in there, it's still a little iffy at times. We've seen defensively that it can be less than great, but it's okay. It's passable. 
When you take one of those top four out, though, and you have to have one of Mikola or Rosen as a top four defenseman for you, that's when things really take a step back defensively. So they they need Colton Pareko. Whatever you think about him as as a player, he's better than the alternatives. They need that guy back out there at something close to 100% as soon as possible. Yeah, I mean, my concern level right now is probably like a five for this Colton Pareko thing. And even with what Craig Berube said, like two games makes me a little nervous, um, especially that he took warm-ups for Chicago and then he didn't skate again. Um, like he says it's not the back, which I'm going to take him for his word on that, but you're just a little cautious because like those things can pop back up. And if it does, that is a disaster for the blues. And I know everyone's going to say, no, it might be a good thing because Colton Pareko sucks. You're, you're, you're going to see a lot of what happened last night against Washington moving forward if you don't have Colton Pareko out on the ice. And I told this to Donnie. I filled in on the Last Minute Blues podcast this morning. Um, Like, everyone that is still upset about David Perron being gone, imagine where you'd be at right now if you didn't have Nick Letty on this team. Because your top four, if Colton Pareko is out for a longer period of time, your top four is Justin Falk, Tori Krug, Callie Rosen, and Nico Mikola. Like, that's panic bus situation right there. So, the good news is you got Nick Letty. The good news is Callie Rosen has stepped up. The good news is Nico Mikola has stepped up. But, man, you can't afford to lose Colton Pareko for an extended period of time because otherwise you will have a setback because um, as the calendar turns to December and January, the competition gets tougher. And if you don't have your top defenseman in terms of even strength ice time, you're going to be in for some for some issues in your own zone. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, the Cardinals decided to keep Chris Stratton in the move that everybody is discussing. We will discuss that coming up in 15 minutes as, as it pertains to what it means for the Cardinals' bullpen. But coming up next, Alex has a junk drawer story for us here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The junk drawer with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Together Credit Union. Pay yourself with every purchase. Open and achieve it. Checking account today. Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Let's dive into the junk drawer. Alex, what do you have for us today? Are you both uh, fans of Captain America? Yeah. Chris Evans? Yeah? Big fan. Big fan. All right. I'm about to change your opinion on this individual, or I'm about to endorse that opinion of him. Wait, Captain America or Chris Evans? Chris Evans, not Captain America. He's not a real person, man. What? So Chris Evans and uh, Jana Kramer. Yeah. You know who that is? Country singer? No. Uh, so they dated for a little bit of time. Okay. And, uh, well, that, that relationship broke off over one thing. Asparagus pee. What? what? So according to an article, Jana Kramer... Uh, I wish I could eat asparagus right now. I wish I could eat literally anything. You would. She, uh, she, did, a, 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 she did a podcast called Wine Down. And she talked about how she was dating Chris Evans, went over to his house for a party following a dinner she had with her friends where she ate asparagus. She went over to his house to hang out, went to the restroom, used the facilities at his house, 
Uh, Chris Evans went into the bathroom after her and said it smelled like asparagus in the bathroom. And he broke up with her after that. Yeah, I did too. That's amazing. He he broke up with her after that one. Good for him. Kind of ghosted her, according to Jana Kramer. And honestly, I respect the game. Yeah. Respect the game there. You know what? I support Chris Evans more now. Asparagus pee? I'm out on that. So what, this is what she said on the podcast. The last interaction that I remember is him going to the bathroom after I just went with the with the asparagus pee. We didn't hook up that night. He stayed up late with friends, and then in the morning I did the asparagus walk of shame out of his house. I never heard from him again. Now that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> what do you mean that's fair? <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> I actually agree with Chris Evans on that's that one. That's what I'm saying. If you so if you walk into the restroom, like put yourself into a single man's shoes again, okay? Okay, I'm there. <laughs> Not the forever single man shoes. Oh, oh. <laughs> um, single for? man shoes who is dating, you know, actresses from all across the world. Yeah, you're and Captain Freaking America. <laughs> he literally, you play the role of Captain America. As John Mayer once said, your body's a wonderland. You're on a date with a country singer. And she goes to the restroom, you walk in afterwards, and you spell her aper- asparagus pee. You just going to hook up with her that night? Not at all. <laughs> no, Not at all. That's, that's where I draw the Not line. Not at all, man. No. Not at all. I'm hanging out with the boys. I'm breaking out the good whiskey that night. The, the question <laughs> I had when I was reading that, though, was what, what's the what's – the, when you dated, because obviously BK and I aren't dating anymore. We're married to so wonderful Tanner, individuals. Answer, so, Tanner, oh, yeah, never mind. Nope, never nope, mind. Sorry, you can't because you don't date. All right, let's go to commercial break. <laughs> What what would have been the break-off point for you? Like, is asparagus pee going to do that for you? Oh, definitely. To make you basically say, nope, not going to happen. Well, if I... The other thing you got to remember, I'm not Chris Evans. I know you sometimes forget oh, that. Oh, I know that I am. Have you seen me? <laughs> and so, if I had Chris Evans' options... It might be a little less, right? Like, there's a lot less that would have to happen. Asparagus pee apparently rises you know, to that level. You know that big toe thing that they do in Jerry Seinfeld, or in Seinfeld, where like her big, Not her a big toes. Seinfeld guy. No, no. Surprise! Never got into get it. this. Where the 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 uh, the second toe is bigger than the big toe. That used to creep me out when I was dating. Like longer. Mm-hmm. I have a longer second toe than my big toe. All right. Well, now I know why you and I don't like each other. Congrats, you? man. No, because I'm normal. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with Alex. I'm normal. I don't have that issue. How do you issue. feel about the people that can, like, web out their feet? That's their weird. Their toes. That's weird. So, like, the my, monkey toes. My wife can, gives like, me problems. Your, uh, your remote. That's what my wife does. My entire <laughs> my entire wife's family can pick things up with their feet. And I, like, I oh, force my wife to drop it and pick it up like an adult. And now my daughter's <laughs> picking things up with their feet. Like, what are we doing here? I live with a bunch of monkeys. Tanner, how do you feel about these? I, I'm out on that. I'm picking stuff up with your feet. No thanks. I, yeah, I, uh, I'm out. People, people, people that uh, that like nonchalantly would take their shoes and socks off. That would freak me out too. I'd be out on that. I'm there too. That's you know, I'm agreeing up. with a lot of what Alex is saying here. <laughs> Tanner, Tanner, you were going to have struggles finding a, a significant other, my friend. <laughs> No, uh, the big good. toe thing was not Seinfeld. That was a shallow Hal thing. I, th- I thought they did that on I Seinfeld, saying, When you went to Seinfeld and you started saying that, I didn't Maybe not. That. I know it's the shallow Hal thing. I thought it was in Seinfeld. Seinfeld covered the man hands. That's oh, right. Yeah. That's right. Coming up in 15 minutes. Glad Sorry. Glad we got clarified. <laughs> Braden Shin is starting to put together one hell of a season. We got to give him his credit. We'll do that coming up in 15 minutes. But next, the Cardinals decided to keep Chris Stratton. Is the right side of the bullpen done? Is it ready to go at this point? Talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're 
right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. The Cardinals made some small news yesterday when they decided to keep Chris Stratton on a one-year deal worth $2.8 million. That avoids arbitration. It will keep him in St. Louis for the 2023 season. We're broadcasting live at the E&B Granite Studio out of the Centene Community Ice Center. So as currently constructed, here are your right-handed options out of the Cardinals' bullpen next year. It's Ryan Helsley, Giovanni Gallegos, Chris Stratton, Jordan Hicks, Drew Verhagen, Andre Pallante, and Dakota Hudson. Is that a group that you would still want to add to? Because as we currently stand, that's already seven right-handed relief options that are available to you. Is it a group? Let, let's. I'll ask you these three questions. You can take this in whichever direction you'd like to, Alex. Is it a group that you still feel like they need to add to? Is it a group that you trade from? And if you end up sticking with it is it a group that you feel comfortable with going into the start of the season be better if i turn this on i think it's a group that i would i think it's a group that i would try and trade to help so the second option there because i don't know if it's a group that i want to spend money that i feel like needs to go towards offense this offseason and it's not a group that i sit here and say comfortably yeah that's my bullpen going into next year so i look at it and say okay i've got a ton of pieces on my roster right now i've got guys in the minors that i feel like can be assets but i also know that i need mlb help right now so i think it's a group that i look at and say i'm missing a piece i want to spend the money that i can on offense I'm going to find a way to make a trade with what I have internally and bring in a bullpen piece that can help. I I think I look at the – I would say that this is a group you still need to add to. I would be willing to trade from this group if need be. If I need to put a bullpen like Jordan Hicks, for example, in a trade package, I'd be willing to. Hudson, if I had to put him in a trade package, I'd be willing to. Uh, is it a group that I feel comfortable with? I feel fine with it. I, I still think you need more swing and miss from your right-handed relief options. I, I think that they still need to add somebody. Like when we look at those free agent options, you know, you've got uh, Adovino that's out there that's available, Kenley Jansen that's out there that's available, Craig Kimbrell. I know he had a bad year, but he's someone that I would be willing to take a risk on. So, like, I hear all – seeing all the options that are out there on the free agent market, and you can probably bring in some guys that have more swing and miss on a one, two-year deal. I think you can still look to add to this group because when I look at this list of right-handers that you have uh, – Four of them, Helsley, Gallego, Stratton, Hicks, those four guys, you pretty much know what you have in them. Palante, I don't know what you're going to get out of them because it's a second year. Can he improve against right-handed hitters? I don't know. We'll see. Um, I really have no idea what the heck you're expecting from Drew Verhagen, and then I don't know what you're going to get out of Dakota Hudson. So I, I think you can still add somebody else to add more certainty to this group. And if I had to trade from this group to help get, I don't know, say the catcher that you're looking for, if someone had interest in Jordan Hicks, I'd be willing to do so with the mindset of, okay, now that I just cleared up a spot in the bullpen, I'm I'm going to go out there and I'm going to improve our strikeout rate by going out there and getting someone that's got more swing and miss. John Mosellock always brings up the word arbitrage, right? And so I, I looked this up just so that way we could have a quick definition for anybody that's not familiar with it. It's a business term that a lot of people use. It is the simultaneous purchase and sale of the same asset in different markets in order to profit from the tiny differences in that asset's listed price. Basically, what the what that means when it comes to the Cardinals bullpen is what Tanner just said. 
you could trade Jordan Hicks and then sign somebody to a contract that would have been similar to Hicks or maybe even a little bit more, but you get you extract the value out of Hicks via trade because he's a trade asset, and then you sign a guy that you think might be a little better than Jordan Hicks, so you're you're using Hicks to improve your roster elsewhere and then signing a guy that you think improves you in your bullpen. So that's where the arbitrage comes in, and I think that's exactly what they're probably going to do with this group. I think you really like the the top two. Helsley, Gallegos, they're great. You, you don't even have to worry about them. Your eighth and ninth innings are set going into the offseason. That's a really nice to place to be as a franchise to have those guys ready to go from last year. I'm not really sure what this team's plan is, though, in like the seventh inning right now. I don't know that you have an obvious option. I think Thompson could be a guy that helps you there. I think that right now it would probably be Jordan Hicks. I would like to upgrade from Jordan Hicks if we're being honest, though. I'd like to get a guy that comes in with a lot more swing and miss stuff, and I'd like to get a guy that comes in with a little bit more control. So as you go to the the free agency market, are there guys that fit that criteria? Yeah, this offseason there are, and, and you could probably get them on a one-year $8 million deal, something like that. Like uh, Chris Martin, who was with the Dodgers, 30% strikeout rate last year. Uh, Adam Ottavino, who apparently has interest from the Mets, and I would imagine he's just going to stay there. He's from that area. All but right, he would be a that guy that I, that I would be looking for. Uh, David Robertson does have the struggles with the walks, but he also has a significantly higher strikeout rate. Maybe you could get him on a one-year deal. Uh, th- those are the types of players that I would be looking at from this market. Maybe even an Andrew Chafin, who, if you could get him on a one-year deal... I like that option as well. Let me ask you guys this because today is that day where they have to decide non-tender versus the tender. Does Alex Reyes, if he's still a part of this team, change your opinion on that? No, because I don't – well, if he's a part of the team, no, just because I still don't know how healthy he truly will be this season, how much an impact he'll make. Because I think, if I remember correctly, I think Derek Gould said in one of his chats that he's not expected to be back until I think it's May. So I, I would just bet on, like, if you decide to tender Alex Reyes – you should have the approach of, okay, whatever we get out of him is a plus. He should not factor to any of our bullpen management decisions this offseason. Yeah, I, I would say he's he's the type of guy that I look at and say anything that he gives us is gravy. And I hope that he helps them next year, but he's kind of like Verhagen for me. And the, the upside for Alex Reyes is obviously much higher than the upside for Drew Verhagen, but I view both of them similarly where I have no idea what you're getting out of either of them. My expectation is nothing, and if you get something out of them, great. But I, at this point, kind of think that they're going to non-tender him. Agreed. So I, I don't even think Alex Reyes is going to be back with the Cardinals. Yeah, well, year. and if he's not, then that opens up, obviously, the hole that you're going after. I was just curious if they do. I wonder if that means that they're optimistic about him. But I don't know how much you can take that into consideration because, obviously, he's had his injury history. But we also know that if he's healthy, I mean, he's legitimately that seventh-inning guy for you. Just what because if they're going to keep him on the roster and clog up one of those forty man spots, they're obviously pretty optimistic that he's a part of it. Yeah, I also think we overrate what the forty man roster. I means. would say that for any other team other than John Mozeliak. Yeah, I, I just I, I think that they use it as an excuse a lot of the time. Like you, you look at the Cardinals forty man roster at any given time, there are players on that roster that if they really needed to move off of for a better option, they could. Kramer and that's the case. Robertson. <clears throat> that that's the case for internally during the season and, and also right now. I, I think we make more of that. Like the Tampa Bay Rays, their pitching side of things on their 40-man roster was legitimately too stacked. Like they they did not have spots available for some of their young guys that they're trying to bring up to the big leagues in the not-too-distant future. I don't feel that way about the Cardinals at all. If they decide to non-tender Alex Reyes, it will not be because their 40-man roster was too stacked. It'll be because they 
they decided that it wasn't worth it for like $2 million to bring him back because they weren't sure what the health status was going to be for him. And they thought that they could use their resources better. Before we get out of here and talk about Braden Shin and a player that might be interesting for the Blues who was just placed on waivers, Alex, we mentioned earlier today John Heyman of the New York Post. I've got another piece from John Heyman that was just posted a little bit ago, again, on the New York Post. The top-end shortstop market seems to be expanding now with the Yankees and the Padres also showing interest, bringing the teams that are interested in the shortstop market to 11 different clubs. The list of clubs, Alex, according to John Heyman, that have shown some interest includes the Dodgers, the Braves, the Red Sox, the Twins, the Phillies, the Cubs, the Cardinals, the Giants, the Yankees, the Padres, and the Mariners. Now, the Cardinals were one of the teams that was listed there. He says their priority seems to be more on the catching and pitching side of things, but they could move Tommy Edmond to second base if necessary. Alex, I don't want to focus on the Cardinals because we've talked ad nauseum about their interest level or lack thereof in the shortstop market, and we we all agree they should be interested even if they're not. It is worth noting that he mentioned the Dodgers, the Braves, the Phillies, the Cubs, and the Giants, and the Padres in this. You could even eliminate the Cubs from that list because they're not like the contender. The other five biggest threats in the National League, in my opinion, long term, are all in apparently on this shortstop market. Like, shouldn't that tell you something if you're the Cardinals? It's not just that you're trying to catch the teams and what they were last year. You also might have to catch a better version of those teams. If the Dodgers go out there and they sign a shortstop and they improve their pitching staff, they bolster it there, the Dodgers might be better next year than they were last year. If the Braves end up signing like Xander Bogarts to replace Dansby Swanson, I think they get better by doing that. If the Phillies end up getting Trey Turner, they'll be better next year than they were this year. I I don't know how they would do it, but if the Padres were to be able to make a play for one of these guys, they're going to be a better team when they get potentially Fernando Tatis Jr. and one of the shortstops in there. The Cardinals need to realize that the price of competing in the National League is going up in a significant way, and just improving from where you were last year might not be enough this time around. Yeah, I, uh, I don't care what catcher you get. If these teams in the National League are all in on these shortstops, and let's say let's say three of the four, three of the five end up in the National League, I mean, so let's say it's like Turner stays with the Dodgers, Bogarts goes to the Phillies. Uh, let's say, mm, you know what, Turner goes to the Phillies, Bogarts goes to the Dodgers, or Correa goes to the Dodgers, Bogarts goes um, to Bogarts goes to the Braves, and then who did we not have? Swanson's Swanson. another one. Swanson ends up going to uh, let's say he's in the American wherever. League. Cubs. But maybe the it, Cubs, yeah. If you, if all of those guys end up in the National League, you've put yourself behind the eight ball. And I don't care what catcher you acquire. I don't care what bullpen arm you sign. You will not be in the same atmosphere as those teams offensively. And you're going to be relying heavily on your younger players. And we've seen that that hurts this team. So I, I, I just loved the way that Derek Gould phrased it yesterday. Like, you, if you don't get aggressive at this, you're going to miss an opportunity where you have never seen this many high-end talent at a position that is desperately needed for this team for two consecutive years. It's basically like Bryce Harper. You get a redo free agency-wise, and you don't decide to go back into those waters. So, I mean, if these guys end up in the National League and their only addition is, let's say, they 
they trade for Sean Murphy and sign Kenley Jansen. Cool offseason, but you're not even you're not in the same conversation with these top end talents that are in the National League. And I don't know how you can envision yourself winning a World Series with that additions and your subtractions this offseason. And, and it just I mean, we talked about all offseason. Why are we looking for a third impact bat? So you're not putting pressure on Walker to be the guy that has to take that role. Well, even if you just add, say it's Wilson Contreras, but you see all the other NL contenders bring in even bigger bats in, on the shortstop class. The pressure's right back on Jordan Walker because how do you keep up if you're the Cardinals and you're not going to spend elsewhere on other talent besides the catcher position in terms of looking for like a impact bat in the outfield like a Nemo or a Benintendi? It's gambling on Jordan Walker once again to become that bat. And I get that kind of thinking from the Cardinals' perspective, but when there's a class that is as high as high talented as it is in that shortstop market, and I agree with Alex, shortstop has been a hole for the Cardinals for two years. You have to be willing to kick around the tires and be willing to get uncomfortable. And the Cardinals don't seem to be willing to get uncomfortable. I think it would be, it could be what we ultimately look at, and then after this off season or two off seasons from now, and we say that's when they really fell behind the eight ball. Coming up in fifteen minutes, six five seven eight zero is the air cover service tax line. You give us four options. We will tell you which one's got to go at the bottom of the hour. We will give you another chance to win a pair of tickets to see the Retinator. Thomas Rhett. We'll do that coming up at 145. But next, we got two things to discuss. First of all, Braden Shin put together one heck of a season. But secondarily, there's a guy that was just placed on waivers that might be of interest to the St. Louis Blues. Alex will pitch us on him next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario broadcasting live from the E&B Granite Studios out at the Centene Community Ice Center. Get your texts in now. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. You give us four options. We will tell you which one's got to go coming up in 15 minutes at 145. We'll give away another pair of tickets to see Thomas Red. But right now, Alex, there is some news that has happened in the NHL. It is waiver day, and there is a player that you just saw placed on waivers that you think might be of interest or maybe should be of interest for the Blues. In your yeah, opinion. I think it's more should be of interest rather than might be because I don't know if Doug's going to even jump into these waters for how well the team's playing right now. But uh, Elliot Friedman just put it out that uh, the Minnesota Wild are sending Tyson Jost down to the minors who has to clear waivers. And for those that don't know the name, Tyson Jost was the 10th overall draft pick back in 2016 for the Colorado Avalanche. He was traded last year uh, at the deadline to Minnesota for Nico Sturm, and of course Colorado goes on to win the Stanley Cup. Jost with Minnesota in the playoffs loses to the Blues in six games. I'm really fascinated by the fact that Minnesota is just throwing this guy through waivers because, I mean, he's a really good player. Now, he's never amassed more than 12 goals uh, in the National Hockey League, but if you look at his time with Colorado and then most recently with Minnesota, he's been a third or fourth line player. Honestly, it's a it's a it's a higher expectation version of Josh Levo. He's been a guy who's played in the NHL. He's over 350 games in the NHL, but he's always been a third or fourth line player. Now Colorado tried to jam him into the um, top 
six, top nine role last season, and he never really massed into that center position. Uh, last year, six goals and 14 points in 59 games. Here's why I think they should be interested in this. One, he's $2 million, and he's an RFA after this year, and if it doesn't work, then you move on. But if he's a good player for you, it, you, you basically arbitration rights, the most he can get is $2.25 million. He's a legitimate top nine forward for you. Um, but he's also responsible defensively, which I think is very important for this team, especially if you're talking about needing a guy to play in your top nine with potentially Ryan O'Reilly if Josh Levo starts to trickle down a little bit. But go look at his career in the National Hockey League. Again, I know some people don't like plus minuses, but the final two years he was in Colorado, he's a plus 11 and a plus 14 as a third or fourth liner, and a majority of his starts are 58 to 65% in the defensive zone. So he's a good centerman. He can score goals as a winger for you. And for $2 million and you saying that you need to find somebody who can play in your top nine for those that aren't excited about Josh Levo, I mean, I'd take a flyer on making a claim for a player who's $2 million. You've got the cap space because of LTIR. Give it a shot. And if he doesn't work, then you send him through the waivers and see if somebody else picks him up because you have the luxury right now of being a team that is playing well, but you're still at the bottom of the NHL to where you are first-come-first dibs in claiming a player that has to go through waivers. Yeah, just one thing. It is He is on the, an expiring deal. Like He'll be a UFA at the end of the season, so they wouldn't have any rights over him. But, I mean, defensively, he, he appears to be a pretty good good player he's according to some of the the j fresh numbers he's like 85 percentile so he's about 15 percent below league or he's like 30 percent above league average in terms of what he's doing defensively for them he hasn't been great offensively so far this season doesn't have a great scoring touch not a great finisher but i wonder if he falls into that category of guy who needs a change of scenery and it's not working in minnesota and in a worst case scenario like could could this guy help you out on the fourth line as something that's a little bit more of a long-term option for you there potentially I, I I think that it makes some sense. I guess the one thing that I would say is your fourth line's playing well right now. You like Alexandrov. Eventually, Torpchenko is going to be an option for you on that line as well. Pitlick has been playing pretty well for you down there. And it, do you need to add $2 million via this player right now? They would probably say no. They would probably say Tyson Jost, yeah, makes a lot of sense for us. But that $2 million is really valuable for us, whether it's now or holding it until we get closer to the trade deadline. And as you get closer to the trade deadline, that is effectively $4 million for a salary because it's only 50% of that salary that you would have to take on at that point. And maybe you could then get an even better forward that actually can really fit up there with a Ryan O'Reilly or in your top six. That makes a little bit more sense for your team. That would be the only reason that I would at least be skeptical of it because it handcuffs you in terms of if you feel the need you're going to have to add down the road where you feel like you need to get a guy who could be a threat on the power play if you need to go out there and possibly get another defenseman if injuries pop up with this team. Uh, you put yourself in a sticky situation in terms of cap dollars, especially if you believe Marco Scandella is going to return at some point this season. So I, I just I don't think you can ever have enough guys to play in your top nine who might be fourth liners, but you can catapult them up like a Nola Chari. And if I'm getting a guy who's responsible, who's very familiar with the central division, and maybe it's just not working in one area, 
I don't see the hurt in taking a flyer on a player like that because, again, you get them $2 million. Worst case scenario, you pass them through waivers, and maybe at the time that you do that, somebody else is willing to take a flyer on this. Yeah, the worst case scenario on that route, though, would be that nobody takes him, and now you're stuck with this $2 million. And you're designating him to the minors, absolutely. Right. So that, that would be the worst case scenario. I, I don't mind it, though. I, I like the, the option if they think that he's an, a clear and definitive upgrade over at least one of Pitlick, Alexandrov and Torpchenko. If they think he's clearly better than those three and he would make your fourth line that much more significant in terms of a factor, yeah, I, I think it makes some sense. All right, the other thing that I wanted to get to here was Braden Shin, who has been on a bit of a heater this season. He got back in the scoring column last night with a goal, a really nice goal uh, at that. Alex, he's up to four goals on the season, nine assists on the year. He's got 13 points in 16 games so far this season. And the vast majority of those, nine of those points have come so far at even strength. He's been probably your most consistent player since the beginning of the season. Last year, it was a weird year. And we know all now about the the rib injuries that he played through and how hurt he was basically the entirety of the season. I, I got to give Braden Chen a lot of credit, man, because he was also the guy that ended up winning Jordan Cairo came onto his line. We are now seeing the best version of Jordan Cairo again. I, I think Braden Shin has been, he's not a captain. I understand that that's Ryan O'Reilly's role, and I'm not taking anything away from O'Reilly. He's been playing very well lately as well. But Braden Shin has been playing like a captain this year. Like That's the kind of player that you would expect as the captain for the Blues. Absolutely. And I, I love Kerbs' uh, comp to him earlier in the show, um, comparing him to uh, to Brian Sutter. And I know they're different players, but they do have a lot of the same qualities and how they go about their game. He was, I, I know people love when we say X-Factors, but he was one of those guys for me that was going to benefit this team offensively this year because you didn't have him last year. And I know everyone was talking about how do you replace David Perron. Well, you replace David Perron by getting Braden Shen back to his normal form because Braden Shen, as Curbs mentioned it, since he was acquired by the Philadelphia Flyers, or by the Blues from Philadelphia, he has been the most point-getter on this Blues team. That's a phrase. The Look the it up. Most point-getter. Look, you could type it into Microsoft Word and you'll the get the Blues. points? No, most point-getter. Okay. Look it up. Type it into Microsoft Word. You'll get the blue squiggles underneath, but just ignore them like everyone does. Okay. He is the most productive forward player by the St. Louis Blues since he was acquired. Even strength, power play, he's right behind David Perron in that category. Game-winning goals, he's everything. But on top of it, he provides the grit that you need, and he provides the leadership that you need also. So Braden Shen is a guy that I was really hoping gets back to that form because it makes such a massive difference. There's a flip side to this, though, because for those that really want Ryan O'Reilly to come back, I wonder if Doug Armstrong views this as, does this make Ryan O'Reilly expendable because we have Braden Shen, who plays like a top-two center? And you heard Curbs mention he prefers him at the center position He's just better than rather him. than the winger. Exactly. He, he can, can he has more control of the game when he's playing at center. He's yeah. talked about that in the past. And you can tell it. Like he, he He's noticeable every he's, night. He's in more command. So uh, it's been great to be able to see him back at full strength this season and he's he's really 
taking advantage of that opportunity that's been there for him since he's moved back to the center position as well. Coming up in 15 minutes, we'll give another pair of tickets to see the Retinator. That's coming up at 145. Thomas Rett, two tickets coming up at 145. But next, 65780 is your comfort service text line. You give us four options. We'll tell you which one's got to go here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Count that, that big bang. Give us four options. We will tell you which one's got to go. It is our favorite game that we like to call One's Gotta Go here on 101 ESPN. Let's start with this one, boys. One's Gotta Go Weather Edition. Rain, sleet, snow, or sunny. Which one's got to go, Alex Ferrario? Uh, sleet has to go. I don't even know why. that. That's like, yeah, that, that has no reason of being in this conversation. Sun's always the goats. Um, I'll take snow. I like snow from, like, now until January 1st. Then it can get the hell out of here. Uh, and I love me some rain when it's warm out. So get rid of sleep. Yeah, get rid of sleep. Who wants to be pelted by little ice BK beds? looks like a guy who loves the sleep. Like, yeah, oh, man, I, this, is a, this is a great time for me to go run in my Peloton. Yeah, I'm out on that. Get the sleep the hell out of my here. Peloton? I love looking out at the window when sleet's coming down. It's a bike, sir. You don't run... I on a know, bike. I don't know what the there hell, are, you, there I don't are, know what the hell there are you treadmills, do. though. Um, I would definitely get rid of sleet as well. Why? Because it's the worst version of rain and snow combined. <laughs> I don't need that in my life. The The ice is the problem. I'm good with snow. Snow's fine. The ice is where it starts to become an issue. So, yeah, sleet's got to be the one. Let's go. Uh, while you're at work, you have to give one up. Shirt, pants, underwear, or socks. What? This, hey man, is this is easy. From the text line, this comes this from six one eight. You're at work. Mm-hmm. This is yeah. This is easy. Go ahead, Tanner. Underwear. It's a, uh, yeah, it's underwear. It's underwear. Nobody knows. I can go commando. Yeah, I love me. You some never commando. know. Commando might be uh, an unsung hero. I might be commando right now. Didn't want to picture that. <laughs> Only Tanner and I are talking about this right now. Nah, I don't care if you're commando right now. I'm not in the same room with you. Doesn't change anything for for Tanner. Yeah, whatsoever. I'm in the studio. I don't care. One's got to go. Tanner might be commando. Tanner might not have two of the three on right yeah. now. Have you guys seen if I had pants on all day in our Zoom? You have no idea. One got to go things that Alex Ferrario hates. <laughs> this is a long list. Paul DeYoung. <laughs> what? Mayo and coffee. Oh. Dom from The Athletic. <laughs> or the Ratinator. I don't hate the Ratinator. I hate the damn nickname, but I like. Uh... It is better than any nickname you've ever given a line for the Blues. That uh, is true. No, because it's 100% no, it's true. not. Go search on Twitter, Schwarzenko. Oh, One of the greatest nicknames ever given, and Curbs can I laugh think, at that all he I, wants, but it was on Twitter. I think Curbs came up with it. No, I did. Myself and uh, my uh, partner at the time, Amy Mark Scores. Uh, this one's simple. It's, it's mayo and coffee. That was the worst. Worse than Dom from the Athletic. Yeah, and I and I can't uh, I can't take Dom from the Athletic. But let me tell you something: um, Mayo and coffee was brutal. Have you seen Still Paul DeYoung's baseball reference page? No, I, I went home and had to really like cleanse the palate. Like I had to go home. I went home and like chugged probably three or four glasses of water, um, put some garlic in a spoon, and ate that to try and get oh. rid of the taste. Had a had a Volpe Gross. salami sandwich to try and cleanse oh, yeah, that, the palate. That's gonna help you. <laughs> Anything you could get the mayo you out of your mouth the with, huh? 
Are you helping your palate or no. making it worse? He might be helping his palate, but he's definitely hurting his insides. Oh, yeah. Uh, That's fine. One's got to go Cardinals game giveaway edition. A jersey, a bobblehead, replica ring, or a t-shirt slash hoodie. Jersey, bobblehead, replica ring, or the t-shirt slash hoodie. I'll, I'll start on this one. Maybe this is unpopular. I'm good on the replica rings. <sighs> you and I were going to pick the same one. I, I just don't like doesn't do anything for me. I understand if you're somebody that has a place where you present all this stuff, like in your office or something, I get the appeal of it. But for me, I, I don't have that area in my office. I That would be the one that I get the least amount of use out of. I always crack up at the people that wear them when they get them because oh, really? it's just always funny when you see people walking around they have like a full hand of all of the uh, replica rings. That's the one I'd get rid of too. I've never... I, like, if I'm going... If I, if I get something... In terms of a giveaway at a game, I want something that I'm going to use. Like, I love those magnetic calendars. Um, I'll take the uh, the hoodie slash T-shirt. Those things are fantastic. The same with the hat. Uh, but I want something that I can use for my giveaway. So I think I'd get rid of the replica ring. I See, I like the replica rings. Now, I'm not going to wear them around, but I like them because I like the way you can look at them, put them on a desk or something. I think I'm going to get rid of the T-shirt slash hoodie because if I'm already getting, if the replica jerseys are available, I'd rather have those than just a T-shirt or hoodie that they come up with a design for. So get those out of here. 65780 is the covered service tax line. One's got to go Taco Bell menu items, Alex. I know this is a favorite of yours. Not since 2009, but okay. <laughs> Burrito Supreme, Crunchwrap Supreme, the Mexican pizza, or the beefy five-layer burrito. That is my personal go-to. Really? Beefy five-layer burrito? That's the one I'd get rid of. Really? That's the one I'd get rid of. That's the one I'm getting rid of. All of them that you just said, I'm like, you know what? I like it. I like it. Mexican pizza I love. And then you said the beefy five-layer burrito. I'm like, yeah, I'll get rid of that one. Can I say something that's just between you and me, Alex? Sure. Nobody nobody else is listening. Tanner, turn your mics off. Okay. I don't like the Mexican pizza, and I don't understand the appeal at all. That's like saying you don't like the McRib. I, I don't. Oh, my God. I don't understand it. Like, there are so many other good things on the menu. I don't get it with the oh, Mexican pizza. It's that It's that crunch. It's that crunch with a tortilla. But it's not even that crunchy. Yeah, it is. Like, the, the crunch wrap supreme is more crunchy, typically, than the crunchiness love, of the Mexican pizza. But it's on a crunchy scale, and a five-layer beefy burrito has got absolutely zero crunch to it. I wasn't comparing it to the beefy five-layer but you, burrito. But you got rid of the Mexican pizza. Everyone wants crunch with their with their Taco Bell. You start off with the crunch wrap supreme, and then you work your way down. You got oh, the man. chalupa, and then you get to that, that. I love that Mexican pizza, man. You get it all. You get really? that. You get the tomatoes on top. What's your you hot get the sauce cheese. go to? Uh, medium. No, medium, that's, really? that's weak. You got to go extra hot. No, I can't because then it takes away the value of the taste. If it no. gets too hot, you're just burning in the mouth for no reason. All right, we're, we're back on the air. Tanner, what, what's yeah. your uh, one's got to go? Uh, what, what oh, it is definitely the uh, five-layer burrito. At really? Beefy Someone texted yeah. and said, Ugh. only crazy people eat refried beans, and yeah. that is very I, true. I agree with the 314 there. It's disgusting. What? Refried beans are good. No, they're I think it's why you had to stay home Monday, Tuesday. Oh. <laughs> I, think, I think somebody did a late night drive through at Taco Bell after his wedding. Coming up next, do not put that on Taco Bell. They oh, no, Taco never. Bell's phenomenal with it. I'm just saying your poor taste we'll of food. We'll hit the BK and Ferrario Rewind and give you your final chance this week on our show to win a pair of tickets to see Thomas Rat, The Ratinator here Get on 101 here. ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. 
anything from today's show, be sure to check it out on the podcast page. So presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. 101ESPN.com. The free 101 ESPN app is where you find it. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kiley. We're broadcasting live today at the EMB Granite Studios out of the Centene Community Ice Center. Alex, last night, the big news for Cardinals fans was Paul Goldschmidt officially named MVP. We all agree. I, I think this is the personal accolade he needed to set him over the top. He's going to be a future Hall of Famer at this point, whether his first ballot or whatever. He's getting in. He's going to go to Canton someday. Yesterday, Matt Holliday, the new Cardinals bench coach, the Cardinals Hall of Famer, uh, was on with the fast lane, and they asked him what makes him most excited about the way that this roster is constructed and what they could do this offseason. Here's what he had to say. Well, I, I, like you said, I mean, you, you're building around a, a nucleus uh, that's really, really good. And, um, you know, you start looking at, you know, you just, okay, at the corners on the infield, you have two final three MVP guys, you know, building around uh, some young pitchers and, and some guys that you've acquired. And, I mean, I, I'm excited to see, you know, if, if a Contreras or, you know, what the catching might, situation might look like. And, um, you know, if, I know Mo's talked about a left-handed hitter and what who that might look like and, and plugging that in. And whether Tyler, O'Neal, you know, hopefully O'Neal bounces back and, and his plays more like the – the guy that hit 30 homers and, and, and can, you know, has speed and, uh, you know, Carlson takes the next step is Jordan Walker, somebody that can play next year, all those things, you know, you start to, to dream on and, and what that might look like. Alex, when I hear anybody talk about the Cardinals and like, I just kind of take a step back for a second. I say to myself, man, they got a pretty good start. Like they're, they're a pretty good roster from like one to two and then four to 26 right now. <laughs> I, I'm I'm serious about that. I, I feel really good about almost the entirety of the roster. There's that little gap. You know what? It's actually like one to two and then five to 26. You're missing that three, the, the third and the fourth pieces that you need. And right now, those would be a catcher and, in my opinion, a shortstop. And, and this is why when I hear Matt Holiday talk like that and you hear all the options that they have, they've got like 10 different dudes that could factor into their outfield mix next year. I'm honestly to the point where I'm like, you know what? Maybe it's just best to figure it out internally. You just throw all of the numbers at the wall and see what sticks. Somebody's going to end up playing well. Maybe it's two of them. And if it is, you could get somebody that's a bad at the deadline if that's what you end up needing. I I think that you've got a great start on the corner infield. I think you've got a lot of options in the middle infield. I want certainty there. And that certainty comes, in my opinion, in the form of a Xander Bogarts because he's not going to be in that top tier with a Carlos Correa or Trey Turner. I think he's significantly better offensively, the numbers would agree with me, than what we've seen in his career so far for Dansby Swanson. So when I heard that yesterday, all I could think about was, man, I think Xander Bogarts is the guy for this team. And I can't I can't wrap my mind around why they wouldn't go that route when you see that you have two MVP candidates that finished top three this year, and you know you can capitalize on it this next year. I always like to go back in my free time and uh, imagine – that dinner between John Mozeliak and Nolan Arenado, where it was just, you know what, Nolan, we want you back, buddy. We feel like you're going to be a Cardinals Hall of Famer by the end of this, uh, wearing a red jacket, but we want to win a World Series, and we think you're a part of it. But you know what? To entice you to stay, we're going to go out there and sign Tucker Barnhart and a couple of bullpen relievers, and we're going to go on a run. That's what I'm talking about. And, By the way, and I Nolan said, Gold- I'm opting back in, damn it. By the way, I said Goldie's going to Canton. Thank you guys for not interrupting me. I, I obviously meant Cooperstown. I don't know why I said Canton. Well, I'm you said like, that, we- and I just figured the text line would <laughs> We just let him. you hold on to that shovel and keep <laughs> digging when you bad. do that, buddy. So, go ahead. You I, were cooking. I, 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 
in all seriousness, that conversation between John Mozeliak and Nolan Arenado to get him to opt back in, you had to lay out what the the, the five year plan is, and that five year plan couldn't have been Nolan. We believe Tyler O'Neill will be an MVP, and Dylan Carlson will get back to his form, and you know we believe that Jordan Walker will be uh, that third bat for you in a couple of years. I fully believe that Mo went into that and said, we are going to upgrade the offense this season. We are going to fix this wild card and then exit path. And to do that, you're going to get in this free agency. And I know we've been shut down, and I know they say the payroll's not really increasing the way we thought it was. I'm going to hold on to the belief that they see the fact that Xander Bogarts is sitting there and Trey Turner and Carlos Correa or that the trade market is there for them and they say, we've got all of these assets, whether it's the money or whether it's the prospects, we're going to upgrade this offense. I think the catcher decision will tip their hand on what their plans are. If they end up signing Wilson Contreras early in the offseason, I think we can stop talking about the catchers. But you can't can't trade for the catcher and give up those assets unless you know you're going to get those shortstops. Maybe. They, they could go elsewhere in the market. They could end up with a Michael Brantley or something. There's other stuff that they could do. I just don't think that's do. as good of an offseason. Off that, that's fair. But like if they end up trading for one of the catchers and that's the first move, it at least opens the door to potentially getting one of those shortstops. If they sign Wilson Contreras, I think it closes the door entirely on acquiring one of those shortstops just because of the money that you'd have to put out there. All right. Now is your chance. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. If you are texture number 101 to 65780, you can win a free pair of tickets to see Thomas Red, of course, is his name at the home team tour with special guest Cole Swindell on Saturday, May 20th at Enterprise Center. Tickets are on sale now. You can also find a bonus chance to win at 101ESPN.com or on the 101 ESPN app. Or if you could be texture number 101 right now and you can tell us why Chris Evans broke up with his girlfriend, according to him. What was it that he broke up with her for? Text number 101, you get the correct answer. You are going home with a pair of tickets to see the Retinator. For Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's been a wonderful week to be with you guys this week. We'll talk to you guys on Monday at 11 a.m. The Fast Lane. It's coming up next right here on 101 ESPN. Oh, God, it's sitting at the top. Oh, God, it's turning chunky. (laughs) Smells horrible. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.